0: What's up and welcome back to Bar Down Talking Hockey, episode number 119, presented by the Bar Room Network. My name is Vinny Parisi, and I am chilling in the summer, no hockey vibes. And this right here, this is Frankie Mueller. And when you have the number one overall pick and you have that type of excitement, the hockey doesn't really leave your spirit all summer long. Frank,
1: how you doing? I'm doing great, besides the weather. It's kind of bringing everything down. The weather sucks. The weather absolutely sucks if you're in the local
0: Chicagoland northwest suburbs right now. You're not enjoying the weather too much unless you're kind of like me and like every now and then do enjoy like just a good rainy day when you got nothing else planned. Um, That's kind of where we're at right now. But, Frank, we have somebody that's coming on the show today Mm -hmm. that is near and dear to our hearts because not only have they been on a show or two in the past, multiple shows in the past, we've been frequent readers of theirs for a while now. Going back to the days with Committed Indian and now with Bleacher Report, of course, we are talking about Tab Bamford. Tab, how are we doing? Oh, no. Oh, no. It's happening again. The muted. Jesus. That's just weird. The StreamYard stuff.
1: It did Can't this before, now. too.
2: Yes, yeah. we can. All right. I just did the mute on mute. We're back.
1: It's so weird. It's so it weird. It did that last week, but that was weird.
2: Tab, what kind of cigar are you smoking? I uh, got a nice uh, New World Cameroon by A.J. Fernandez. This Very time. good.
0: <laughs> where, where do cigars rank in terms of, like, your favorite things? Like, you got hockey. I know you like baseball. We have a lot in common. You have cigars, though, in near the top of your list of loves.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, probably I would say fourth in the order behind, like, family hockey and baseball <laughs> Very good. Uh, cool. See, my and, dad's
1: a big cigar smoker, too.
2: There you go. That's what that's us funny. old kids do. Yeah, no, my and my middle son's going through tryout land right now for the whole traveling baseball thing. So spent four hours at the Bow Dome in Bensonville yesterday watching him not compete but just hit and throw into a net with a half dozen adults with radar guns. Oh, that's and, always fun. And he's 12. So... <laughs> Uh, Yeah, that's always fun.
0: That's always fun. Tab, we're we're so appreciative to have you on. We always enjoy having you on, bringing your insight. Um, We have a lot of people in the chat. They enjoy having you on as well. Um, I'm just going to kick things off with a very simple question. The end of the 2022-23 NHL season ended with the Vegas Golden Knights hoisting the Stanley Cup. What did you make of that team?
2: Uh, I think Vegas is – a fascinating case study for teams around the league because they are proof that you can build something quickly if you have zero cap ab- obligations. Uh, and they – I mean, look, you, when you put them next to what Seattle has done, they are complete opposites. Seattle has taken the long road, developed from within – add the right veterans approach, but they weren't hurrying up to make a splash right away. Vegas is Vegas. You have to put on a show right away. And they knew that the on ice product had to go with the Cirque du Soleil intros and the pyrotechnics and everything else. And they did that. Uh, They brought in George McPhee, who had built the Washington Capitals to being close to a Stanley Cup winner. Obviously they won it after he left, but uh, they wanted to win it right away. They put pressure on themselves to do it and they fulfilled it. Um, so I think, you know, kudos to them. They're also a case study in how in a hard cap league, a team can take advantage of other teams, bad decisions. You know, when you look at how they took advantage of Florida's cap situation, when you look at how they've taken advantage of other teams, cap situations and made smart, appropriate spends on veterans who hit the market because they couldn't be retained elsewhere, they were able to build a championship team. Now, how long they can sustain that is going to be fascinating to watch because, obviously, doomsday comes for everyone. Tampa Bay is kind of looking at the back end of their Rob Peter to pay Paul approach over the last half decade. Uh, I think Pittsburgh robbed Peter to pay Paul for a while there, and they're starting to look at it. Washington in the same way. The Blackhawks have kind of been through that already and are coming out the back end of it. So when you've got a hard cap, you can't pay everybody. And I'm just glad that they don't have the stupid salary cap stuff going on that you see in the NBA where six men are getting $30 million just so that they can come play 14 minutes a night. Um, but I would love to see the NBA and the NHL both find a way to incent teams to keep their star players. Um, because I, I think it sucks when you see teams that have a Sidney Crosby and Alexander Ovechkin, Taves and Kane together, uh, Kopitar getting paid in L.A. with Drew Doughty. When you see teams that have drafted well, allow them to continue to develop well and retain guys that they brought in internally. And if that means you find a way to, you know, one of the things that I floated before is negative connotation on the, the, the term franchise player. But what if the NHL allowed teams to... T- guys contract as a franchise player and remove that from the salary cap consideration so if you're Edmonton and you give Connor McDavid what he deserves which is probably 15 per if you're Toronto and you want to pay Nylander and Matthews you tag Austin Matthews as a franchise player and it comes off your cap and you can pay him what you want now the team needs to be able to afford it and the business case needs to be there and you can only do it once as long as the guy's contract is on your books, you can't like be like, oh, well, no, this guy's our new franchise player. You can't just flip it to Dreisaitl because McDavid decides to decline, which, again, I'm not saying that that's going to happen. But I would love to see the NHL find a way for to incent teams to keep players that they draft and develop well so that you can sustain success a little bit longer. Because I think Chicago, Washington, Pittsburgh, L.A., to an extent, are teams that probably could have stayed better or longer had they been able to retain the right players. But with a hard cap, it's almost impossible to have more than two players getting paid at a superstar rate. And obviously we've seen a lot of teams have shown, certainly Vegas is one of them, that you need to pay more than just two guys to get there and to win and to stay there.
0: I'm curious what you think of this idea. A player you draft and develop unlimited amount, 70% or like find a, find a number that works for the league, collectively bargain a number, 75% of their contract hits the cap. So like let's say you draft and develop Austin Matthews, right? You pick him number one overall, he turns into a $10 million player. It's time to pay him $10 million per for eight years. Seven mil hits the cap of the 10, like a certain percentage that they collectively bargain. That way it does incentivize teams to – keep their guys and pay them what they deserve but it might not hit the salary cap quite as hard like a team like the devils they have hughes and he on team friendly deals but they're going to come into some issues when it's time to pay luke hughes and dawson mercer and Simon nimich if all these guys hit and deserve big money contracts they're gonna have to let go of one or two of them it's just an inevitable fact and that'll slow down the production of the team obviously well if the cap that they sign or if the money that they signed only 60% or 70% hits the salary cap, I think that would, it would reward teams for drafting and developing good players. And it would punish teams for overspending in free agency.
2: Yeah. I mean, no matter what you do, it's going to become a slippery slope with how many guys can you do it with? Um, Because if you're, if you're the devils and you've got two thirds of your roster, hitting at 75% because you drafted well for five years, you're in a much better spot. Now, obviously, that's going to tell teams to draft and develop well, consistently well, uh, you know, not just one time. But I, I think, you know, for me, I think if, if you can take one guy and really label him as your franchise guy, your Crosby, your McDavid, um, if you're New Jersey, who is it? That I guess that's kind of the crapshoot. The flip side is if you're New Jersey, I think they've done a great job of proactively locking some of these guys up to long-term deals early enough that they're able to kind of push that down the road a bit. You know, they've, they've got some of their key veteran guys locked up for, what, five, seven years? You know, you got one Hughes and he sheer locked up. Mercer's going to be next. and He's going to be expensive. I love that kid's game. Um, but you know, the, the hard place is going to be convincing agents to continue to take long-term deals instead of bridge deals, because especially starting next summer, when the cap is going to start going up and it could go up anywhere between eight and $10 million in the first two years, once we get past the pandemic payback, you know, what's going to motivate agents to say, no, give my kid the full, give them the full dollar. Um, and as the cap goes up – and I think this is really a conversation about the, the cap ceiling as a whole and its slow growth. I think in five years we might be looking back, and this is a moot point, because the league finally negotiated bigger money contracts with multiple TV networks in the U.S. When it was just NBC paying them criminally low rates and Canada, they were limited on what the hockey-related revenue was going to let the league do from a cap perspective. So, you know, now that they're going to, you know, the other thing that's going to be fascinating when you look at leagues, league-wide hockey-related revenue is what does the Fanatics jersey situation look like? They're not going to be making money from Adidas like they were. Lots of fans have already voiced their displeasure with the Fanatics product when it's just hats and T-shirts. You know, what are the jerseys going to look like with Fanatics having full ownership of it? Would they have been better served from a financial perspective to engage a a brand like Nike to do for them what they've done for the NFL and the NBA? Would ice, would would the jump man play on ice? You know, so lots of lots of things that you can do with the cap. I hate the hard cap largely as a guy that follows the Blackhawks because doomsday was inevitable. Um, and you've seen it with other teams now, and it's going to continue. You and this really comes back to the NHL treats every market like a small market in baseball, like a Cleveland, like in Oakland, where you have a five- to seven-year window. If you draft really well, like two or three years in a row, you've got a five- to seven-year window to hit, and you really need to be able to spend money when it's time to really go all in. And I think that's where a lot of the frustration is in Edmonton, is like, are we at year four in that seven-year window already? Because they're already paying nurse probably too much and Seidel and McDavid, and seidel has got, what, two years left, and then you're going to renegotiate with him? So if you're Edmonton, are you wasting that seven-year window in which you can really hit? Because you you can't, and you can't succeed, and, and Kyle Davidson, the GM of the Blackhawks, has said this. You can't consistently find guys in the 20s and 30s with your first pick in the draft and be able to sustain if you really want to go for broke. You got Canaan Taves in one shot. You added Marion Hosey. You already had Keith and Seabrook. All the dominoes fell into place for the Chicago Blackhawks when they had their dynasty run. But after that, you know, you're looking for gems to fall to you. You're looking for the DeBrinkets in the second round. Panarin as a Russian free agent. Sod in the second round. You, you need those guys to buoy the ship. And in every draft, that's just not happening. Andrew Shaw is a late round pick. That's just not happening for a lot of teams. So. You really have a five- to seven-year window in the NHL, and unfortunately that makes the league feel like a small market team in Major League Baseball, like a Cleveland or an Oakland, where you draft guys, they all come up, they all hit together, you make a deep run, and then you sell because that next contract just isn't going to happen because of the market that you're in and the money that you have to play with. But the NHL is forcing the money that teams have to play with on them by having a hard cap. Now, the floor does a good job of forcing teams to be competitive, even if Arizona has fraudulently circumvented the cap for years by taking dead money, uh, which is a whole other soapbox and a whole other podcast. But by forcing teams to spend, you're at least spreading the wealth literally and figuratively with prospects, with good players, going to places where they're going to get paid. But I'd like to see the teams that actually draft winners be able to keep them longer and not suffer because they hit on a generational player.
1: Yeah, you met you touched a little bit on the draft and finding gems in the draft and our show two weeks ago, before the draft took place, we were doing our pre-draft predictions and I told Vinny, I said, Vin, you know, I think the Blackhawks have a chance to get Oliver Moore, and if they do, it'll be great. Add some speed, something we haven't seen a lot from their team over the years is them build around speed. They say he's the quickest skater in the NHL draft. I was super excited for them to pick him. I think he might be a gem that late. I mean, you can't really call him a gem, I guess, because it's the first round, but nonetheless, I think him and Bedard as a duo coming to Chicago is going to make a big impact. But what do you take away from their first-round picks of Bedard and Moore?
2: Well, I, I I think we'd be the 8,000th podcast to talk about Connor Bedard and the fact that he changes everything in Chicago. The trajectory changes immediately, and I think that you saw how it impacted the trajectory of the franchise with how Kyle Davidson approached free agency. Um, He's not going to roll into another season hoping for a top three pick with Reese Johnson and Boris Kachuk and Mackenzie Entwistle, with all due respect to those guys, filling out his third line. Now, now he's got Nick Felino and Corey Perry on his fourth line. You know That pushes everything around. You're going to bring Reichel up who can fly. Um, I think if, if we ignore the name Frank Nazar at Michigan, we're, we're, we're missing the boat here too because the last two years, the Blackhawks have drafted the guy who every scout said was the best, fastest, most agile skater in the draft. And if you're watching Big Ten hockey this year, those are two guys that are going to wreck stuff because they can absolutely scoot. So you're right. Like when I look at Oliver Moore, I I had the same reaction that Kyle Davidson did. If you saw that video that the Hawks dropped over the weekend, I was like, let's effing go fist bump. And then like, I can't believe that he actually made it to here because there were mock drafts that had him falling to the Blackhawks at 19. And the response from everyone in the comments was there's no chance in hell Oliver Moore slides that far, especially when Barry Trotz was talking about wanting to get better down the middle. Pittsburgh needs center depth. That's why everyone was staring at Vancouver at 11 and saying the Blackhawks will trade for a bad contract and get in front of Pittsburgh and Nashville to grab Oliver Moore. And a lot of people still had more mock to St. Louis at 10
1: mm-hmm.
2: if the right defensemen were off the board. So the fact that he slid that far, again, that's, that's absolute gold. I love the kid talking to him, you know, during the, the development camp, which was just off ice stuff for Chicago this year. He's got a good head on his shoulders. Clearly, the development program's done a good job of giving these kids some media savvy. Um, and so, I, when you look at where he's going next year, the fact that he's rooming with Sam Renzel, who was a first round pick last year at Minnesota, and they're going to use him all over the ice, not just as a center, but it sounds like he could get some run on the wing as well. But he's going to a team that was a wagon last year, and Cooley's back. And Cooley was, you know, if Adam Fantilli didn't exist, he would have been a. Probably a unanimous winner, the, the Hobie Baker, because the kid had a monstrous season. But Adam Fantilli is Adam Fantilli. So um, you, one of the things that I asked Kyle Davidson about when he met with the media during development camp was how much stock do you guys put in winning at the junior college level? And he said it's a big deal because they want to see guys playing deep in the season. And you saw the three Blackhawks prospects with Seattle make it to the Memorial Cup. Michigan and Boston University were both in the frozen four. The Hawks have got kids at Boston University this year, which I'm crossing my fingers that Ryan Green's on a line with Macklin Celebrini because that would be just dirty. Uh, Nazar's at Michigan, which is annually a team to beat. And they've got a couple kids going to Minnesota who will probably be preseason top three, if not preseason number one. They ran the table at number one last year and just came up short in the championship game. You got kids at Denver, which is a powerhouse in the NCHC. So you've got kids at good programs with good coaches that you trust, and that's a big deal. You're not just throwing somebody out there hoping that, you know, I don't want to throw a specific university under the bus, but little sisters of the poor is going to turn a kid into a, a you know a stud player. Like I remember when they signed Brandon Peary right before opening day to fill in for Patrick Sharp right after they won the Cup. You're like. What's RIT or what's R- RPI? What, what are we doing here? Like if you haven't heard of the school now, most sports fans in the U S have heard of schools based on football and then basketball. And the university of Denver is not a household name. North Dakota is not a household name, but they're good ho- hockey programs, but there are smaller hockey programs that are sometimes hit and miss. And so having guys at big programs that win consistently develop NHL players consistently is a big deal. And I love that he's going to Minnesota. I think Oliver Moore, maybe one or two years at Minnesota, and then he jumps into the pro ranks. And from there, I think really a lot of the timeline is can they get him and Nazar to the NHL at the same time? Nazar's a year ahead, but he missed most of his freshman year at Michigan. So the big question, I think in whatever, nine months when their college seasons come to an end in February, March, is, you know, are Nazar and Moore at a place where they both make the jump and spend a year in the AHL or get some look at the NHL level? Because, again, the Hawks have nobody signed really after this year. They've got, I think, three guys. It'll be four when Bedard's ELC is announced. So they're going to have a fully stocked cabinet to go play again next year. The question is, how long do they want to stay in that figuring it out category and when do they want to pounce? And who's available next year to really go with, a Lucas Reichel, and a Connor Bedard. Um, but Oliver Moore falling into their lap was absolute gold. I, of all the guys in the draft, he was literally like number two on my, this is a guy the Blackhawks probably want, and I want on the Blackhawks because of his motor. Yep. Uh, and you look at what they said when Luke Richardson was introduced in the first place. One of his interviews was they went to a bar in Chicago and watched the Tampa-Colorado Stanley Cup final. And everybody in the front office and Luke Richardson all pointed at the TV and said, that's what we want to be. We want to be a bunch of Ferraris. We can leave the Jeep Grand Wagoneers, and with all due respect, I drive a Jeep. I love Jeep. Don't hate me, Jeep. Please sponsor me. But, <laughs> um, but you know, we can leave the SUVs in the garage. We want to be a team full of Ferraris. And you can see that that is, speed is what they are pointing to. And when everyone was saying, well, Andrew Cristall is Bedard's best friend. Go get him because he can produce. Well, if skating's a problem, he might not have even been on their board because this isn't a team that's going to let Troy Brower work on his skating and develop for six years because they've got a dozen other options sitting there to take ice time until he's ready. This is a team that wants everybody to be able to fly and they want to be a nightmare to handle up and down the ice. And that's what they're building. And I think that's what's really exciting as a, somebody that watches and covers the Blackhawks.
1: And that's why I think he's going to be such a gem because he really shouldn't have fell to the Hawks. I had him going anywhere from 11 to 13 and I I'm just so excited that they have him. I can't wait to see what he does when he comes to the Hawks and signs and plays in the NHL, but you know, we could talk about the draft all day. I mean, we're kind of, everybody's kind of beating it dead by now, right? Like you said, we know what Bedard's going to do for Chicago. Oliver Moore is an absolute stud. He's going to be great. But what about some of the veterans coming to the Chicago Blackhawks? Taylor Hall, Corey Perry. Um, Nick Felino, some of those guys, and help. What are they going to do and help these young guys develop around them? I, I think it's going to make a big difference. And those are some of the guys that you need, I think, early on. And you kind of saw the Devils do it when they went out and picked up. Um, oh, my God. I'm drawing a bit. Foley? No. Uh, what's his name?
2: Dougie?
1: Dougie Hamilton. And uh, who did they just get this past offseason? Oh, Andre Palat. Andre Pilat. Andre Palat. So, I mean, you get guys with a little bit of experience to help the young guys build up, and what, what's your take on that?
2: Well, I, for me, the biggest thing, and again, with all due respect to the guys that were in the bottom six for the Blackhawks last year because there were injuries and trades, and some guys ended up moving from the bottom six up into the top six just because of necessity. But, I mean, look, Corey Perry's not the guy that won the Hart Trophy anymore. He's not going to give you 40, 50 goals anymore. Felino's not going to be a 35-goal scorer. But these are guys who know their role and have played that role, an evolving role throughout their careers on different teams, and they understand what the goal is, right? Um, Felino and Corey Perry likely being on a fourth line means you've got two guys that can give you 12 to 15 goals on your fourth line. Uh, Felino has won a Marc Messier award. He's one of the more respected leaders in the entire National Hockey League. So if you're moving on from Jonathan Taves. You need to have somebody, I, I understand, I appreciate, I totally get what they're saying when the front office and coaches say that they want young guys to be able to establish their voice in the room, and that's never going to happen when you have future Hall of Famers surrounding you that have, this is how business has been done. They want this is how we do business. Establish how we do business. Don't do business the way that it's been done for 15 years. I, I totally get that. But there's still somebody that needs to show these young guys this is how you establish a culture. This is how you establish how we do it. Um, and Felino's a great guy to do that. I think I, I tweeted about Taylor Hall all the way back in early May about him being a brilliant target for the Blackhawks. He's a former number one overall pick who, in a draft with a lot of buzz, if you remember, it was Taylor or Tyler, it's him and Sagan. Nobody knew who was going one until the draft day. He's a guy that knows what coming into the league with pressure means. He did it in the Canadian market that had multiple number ones in a row and it didn't work for them. It still hasn't worked. (laughs) But, you know, he's a guy that knows what that means and he knows what the mantle of being a number one overall pick carries. He's a guy that can still give you 20, 25 goals. And from what he said to the media when, when he and Foligno talked, he's a guy that's motivated to show that he can still be a top six guy. He took a lesser role in Boston because that team was an absolute truck last year, but he's a guy that still thinks he can skate top-line minutes. Okay, go ahead. You're going to sit on the wing of Counter Bedard opening night. Show us that you can score 25. Show us you can score 30. Go get it. And if you can, if if it works as well for him as it has for Athanasiu and Max Domi, God bless, because with all due respect to those two guys, Taylor Hall's a better player. So – I I really like what they've done. I love Ryan Donato. Nobody's talking about Ryan Donato coming in, but he's a guy when he didn't get a QO from Seattle, I was like, ooh, that's that's a guy that I like because he's got that Lafferty vibe, right? He's a guy that can play all three forward spots. He can play anywhere between a fourth and a first line. You know, there have been some whispers that the Hawks are interested in him possibly getting some top six run, which to me says you might see a line with him getting, you know, an opportunity to skate with, Bedard and Hall early in the preseason. I think he's a great guy in a third line. If you stick Kershev, Dickinson, and Donato together or Tyler Johnson with Donato and, and Dickinson, I think that's a really good third line. I think he's a guy, again, that can give you 12 to 18 goals. And last year, you did not have depth scoring in Chicago. It just didn't exist. You were crossing your fingers that Tyler Johnson got hot. If you're passing the hat and grabbing names out of a hat every night, who's going to score the first goal for Chicago – it was slim pickings, man. I mean, it was unless Reichel was up, especially after the trade deadline, it was like, what are we, who, who's scoring tonight? Mm-hmm. Seriously, who's scoring tonight? And now you've got a bunch of guys who could give, it, give you a little offense, give you some grease. They're going to be tough to play against, and they're going to be able to move. Taylor Hall can still skate. Donato can skate. Athens, bringing him back on a two-year deal, great. You know, he's, I think, still in that tradable asset category, either this year or next year. But he can fly. There's no question he can fly. I'd like to see him finish more. But he got to 20 goals. He can fly. And I think he and Reichel showed that they've got some pretty good chemistry together. So you'll probably see those two sharing the second-line center duties. But filling in around what they had, which was incredibly slim, was a necessity. And I think getting Bedard in the draft changed that. You, Donato wasn't the headline signing in free agency this year. You weren't going and getting guys that you're hoping to dump at some point. You're looking for guys to fill roles, not guys who might maximize their trade value. It's a very slight, very subtle paradigm shift, but you're looking for guys to fill roles. And I think they did a good job of that. A lot of Chicago fans hate Corey Perry. They might never accept Corey Perry. If you're as old as I am, you'd never accepted Chris Chelios wearing a Detroit sweater, but you sure as hell accepted Bob Probert when he got here. Right? Right? Yeah, there there have been other guys that that you hated somewhere else who came here and you accepted them because they were yours now. Yes, they weren't the pain in the ass. They were now your pain in the ass. And a lot of people say, well, you know, I hate Brad Marshawn. You'd give your left leg to have Brad Marshawn on your roster all day, every day.
1: Great super pests of all time. And I think Corey Perry feels the same way because he's made comments about coming here. Saying like, "Oh, I know I my feelings for Chicago haven't been great in the past, but I'm happy to be here." So I think he kind of feels the same way. That like, he he good good. Good. And I
2: think Corey Perry also knows. Like, look, the Blackhawks gave me four million dollars. That's like four times what I was getting from anybody else to be a fourth line player. Yeah, and you know what? He's going to come in and he's going to keep teams honest that want to take runs at Bedard or Reichel. He's going to be annoying as hell to play against. He he's been to how many Stanley Cup finals in his life? And so he knows how to win when you look, you know, everybody that was like what the hell are we doing? I said, look, if team if if a team like Tampa Bay who is annually chasing the cup goes out and gives this guy a deal, then they know that he has the right kind of jam for a team that has legit aspirations of winning everything. So, he knows what it takes. And at $4 million, he's happy, very happy. This is the best money he's had in four or five years. But at the same time, $4 million isn't a number that you can cough at and sneeze at and walk away from at the deadline. Blackhawks eat half of that. There will be a half dozen playoff teams that will be like, yeah, we could take Corey Perry on our fourth line. Give me that all day. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it wouldn't shock me if a Colorado like took Corey Perry on their fourth line for two million bucks or, you know, the Rangers or some team like that. Um, you touched on Hall and his production. I've watched a lot of Hall in my day. Um, he had 39 goals. That's a career high. We certainly don't think he's going to reach that apex ever again. But I do th- agree with you on the 20 to 25 goals. I think his assist number, though, climbs through the roof. Hall's a very high volume shooter and some of the some of his percentages have been low, especially over the last couple of years with the Bruins. I think he's not playing with quite the playmakers with the Bruins. And I know this is going to sound crazy because the team was so much better, but he played with more playmakers in New Jersey, right? His line mates were primarily Nico Heischer and Jesper Bratt. That was the devil's top line for Hall's MVP season. Well, Bratt and Heischer could both score goals. I think they each were in the twenties that year or something like that, where he 50 point guy as a rookie Uh Connor Bedard is a high volume shooter himself, way more than he sure or brat. He's he he could make plays too. And I think Hall's goals might come up a little bit because Bedard has such a high hockey IQ. But if Taylor Hall, if he can adjust his game just a tad to maybe make an extra pass and find Bedard in these high volume areas, I really think we could be talking like 70, 80 points
2: here. Well, and let's let me throw this one out there too, because earlier this week I wrote about line combos and one of the things that I put in there that consistently got comments back on social media was what do you need with a guy who's a high volume shooter in the NHL today? You need somebody that's going to create traffic in front of the net and make the loose change disappear. Taylor Radish got your 20 goals last year. Taylor Radish knows how to go there. If you put Taylor Radish up there with Hall and Bedard, he's going to create that traffic that both of those guys need to snipe. And he's going to pick up a lot of loose change. And I think if Taylor Radish gets a chance to sit with those two guys. You're right. I think they'll both see a lot of assists on nickel and dime stuff. That's just a rebound getting put home or a shot. That's a couple inches wide getting redirected in. And I think, you know, when you consider the injuries that plagued the Blackhawks last year and the trades that took place, the fact that Radish still got to 20, I'm not saying Taylor Hall is going to be an all-time top line guy. He's not going to morph into Tony Amante overnight. Great head of hair, not a Monty salad, but (laughs) He's. I don't think 25 is out of the question for Taylor Radish this year at all. If he got 20 with what was left after the deadline last year and a lot of the injuries that took guys away from him last year, you put him on a line with Hall and Bedard, I think all three of those guys could be 60-point guys if if they stay healthy together for, let's call it 75 games and give ourselves a little bit of wiggle room here just because he's got good size and he knows where to go. And, and look, you know, I think the other thing with Corey Perry, the fact that he's got the size that he has, he is still a very valuable piece on the power play. And in this exact same token, I think if he is that net front pain in the ass guy on the top power play unit for the Blackhawks, that's going to help guys like Hall and Bedard pick up a lot of cheap points because you need somebody that's going to clean up the trash. And guys like Taylor Radish and Corey Hall have made a Corey Perry's made a lot of money doing that, and I think Radish is ready to start making a, a pretty decent penny doing that. The big question for me is does is does Taylor Radish play himself into being one of the more valuable trade chips in the entire National Hockey League this year? Because if he if he is a twenty five goal guy making eight hundred thousand, you don't think there's going to be a line around the block to acquire that?
0: Look what Absolutely. Brandon Hagel did.
2: Exactly. Now, Hagel had term left, and, and Radish is yeah. looking at a new deal after this year. So I think the term led to the King's ransom that they got for Hagel. But in the same token, I, I think Taylor Radish is a guy that, when you, especially when you look at trying to spread out this timeline of not wanting to rush guys to the National Hockey League, he's still young enough, more than Kurashev. Don't get me started on Phil Kurashev. He's a third-line guy. That's a ceiling. Let's just own what it is. He shows flashes. That's great. He's a third-line guy. He, his ceiling for me is like 13 goals. Last year, he had every opportunity in the world, and he scored nine. Yes, his season ended early because of injury, but I'm, I'm kind of off the Kershaw bandwagon at this point. But for me, Taylor Radish is a guy that I would sit down with around Christmas if he shows that he's a 20-goal guy again, which he was in junior. He was for Canada. And, and say, look, you know, we, we want you to be a bridge to the next generation. Here's three years. Give him a three-by-three. Three. That should make him incredibly happy, and I think that's a low-risk gamble that you take on a guy that can stick his butt in front of the net and clean up loose change. And at three years, you're not obligating yourself. You're not sinking the Titanic, and you're not you know, handcuffing yourself when it becomes time to pay Bedard, Korchinski, and all the other guys, Reichel, all the other guys that are going to come through. But Reichel's not a net front guy. is not a net front guy. When you look at the forwards they've got coming, Moore's game is based on speed. Nazar's game is based on speed. Lots of this young players that they're drafting are, are based on speed. So where do you find guys to stick their ass in front of the net and pick up the loose change? If you're going to draft speed, you go sign those guys. And if you've already got one in Radish, I'm advocating already. If he can duplicate what he did last year, keep him around because I think that guys like that are incredibly valuable in the NHL today.
1: Absolutely. You know, it's, it's funny that you brought up your updated line combinations because I was going to ask you about Cole Gutman, who I noticed was I think on your most recent article on the fourth line, but I've also seen you, I'm pretty sure have him outside the top 12 and in the reserves. So where is he fitting into this Blackhawks team where do you got them going forward in the future? Because I've seen a little bit of both from you.
2: Well, the, the good thing in bringing in Taylor Hall and Nick Felino and Ryan Donato and Corey Perry is none of these young guys are entitled to a roster spot anymore. Last year, Gutman, everybody fell in love with Cole Gutman last year. Let, let's, let's caveat that with they fell in love with Cole Gutman because he came up and played his ass off and played a really good between-the-circles game. He knew where to go. He knew how to do it. Clearly, he was a captain of a national championship college team, which gets back to the valuing winning at younger levels of development. But that was a team that was a dumpster fire around him. And it sounds like, from what the coaches in front office have said, that they're going to give young guys every opportunity to get work at the dot this year, which is good for Gutman. But if he wants to climb the lineup, that makes his job a little bit harder. Because I think every indication is that Lucas Reichel's gonna get some work at the dot. Andrew Sorensen said absolutely he can be an NHL center. Athanas, you got work at center last year. So I think those two are gonna kind of mix and match, depending on the strong side of the dot, you know, on the second line. Bedard's gonna play center until someone tells him that he's not. And Jason Dickinson showed me that he can be an incredibly viable third line center last year. He's not a one center. He did okay as a second line center. But if you keep them on a third line, I mean, last year in October when the Hawks were shocking everybody and ruining their chances of getting Conor Bedard, their best line was Kirishev, Lafferty, and Dickinson. That third line was fantastic. Scored every game. Yeah, and, and I think that they could very easily recreate that. Again, you've got guys like Donato and Tyler Johnson, and if they get a deal done with Kirishev, you've got options there on the flanks with Dickinson to have a really good, productive, gritty third line. But for me, that when you look at the overall package, I think that pushes Gutman into a f- battling for a fourth-line center gig. And he doesn't have the size that a McKenzie Entwistle does, so that's a little bit of an uphill climb. He's not going to punch somebody in the face like Reese Johnson happily will every shift. So, you know, I, I think I love Gutman. I think if I was a betting man, I would bet that he's, your, he's on the opening night lineup but I think you're looking at probably a fourth center spot unless he comes into camp and blows everybody away, and they're like, you know what, we'll have three centers on a line and we'll stick him between Raiko and Athanasiu. But I really struggle to see how that works. I I think your most likely bet is that he's your fourth-line center. But again, the little bit of offense that we saw from him last year, if he's a guy that can give you 10 goals as a fourth-line center, you're telling me you're going to get 35 to 40 goals from a fourth line, that's dangerous. That's good. And I think a Foligno, Gutman, Perry line is really, really hard to play against. And I think that they can develop chemistry real quick and score goals and kill penalties. I think Felino and Gutman working in, in a penalty kill scenario, that's the other thing that no one's talked about, and I think that's the biggest thing that I have questions about is who's killing penalties for the Chicago Blackhawks this year up front. I think Dickinson's probably your first PK unit center, but who's, who's the other forward there and and what's the second unit look like and, and who's going to help you with that? Cause we saw everything down the stretch last year. Boris Kachuk was getting run on the PK. Um, so, you know, who are going to be your defensive standout forwards? Um, and I think that that's where Cole Gutman can provide a lot of value. So for me, I, I really like Gutman's game. I liked everything that I saw from him last year. He knows how to talk to the media. He knows how to play the game. He knows where to go. Doesn't have great size, but he's willing to put it on the line to go do it. So I think that's the kind of guy that Luke Richardson buys. And because of that, I, I think he's probably your fourth line center just because all of a sudden the Blackhawks actually have adequate center depth. If, if they're sliding Dickinson. Now, before the draft, I put projected lines out there. And I'm like, you know, what the hell are we doing? You know, if we we need Bedard, first of all, if we're going to have a one center. But after that, what are we doing? And now, based on everything that they're saying about young guys getting some run at the dot and Reichel probably getting an opportunity, I think the best case scenario for Cole Gutman is make the team as a fourth-line center and prove that you can do it. Because, again, some of these guys are working for their next contract. I think a guy like Joey Anderson – who signed a two-way deal? I loved what I saw from him. I think that he could very easily be another Lafferty type, but with all the bodies that they've got, it's hard to see how he doesn't end up starting the season in Rockford, just based on sheer numbers and guys that are on one-way deals that can't go anywhere. And so it kind of comes down to which guys with options win spots, and which guys with options are better served helping Rockford compete and then get a call up either after a trade or an injury. But I- I do think Gutman is a guy that makes the opening night lineup, and I think that he would be a really solid fourth line center for the team.
0: I agree. And Tab, I know it's July twelfth, right? And we're you know scrapping for the hockey conversation. It's obviously difficult when you're kind of far away. And guys like Patrick Kane, Matthew Dumba, Vladimir Tarasenko, they're still available in free agency, so that could change things. There are probably some trades that are going to happen that'll impact these sorts of opinions but i look at the central division in the nhl right now i see nashville a team i really don't know about especially if they trade their goalie elite goalie winnipeg a team i'm not too sure how to predict especially if they trade their goalie elite goalie dallas is probably right there with colorado as the cream of the crop in the division st louis i think they're gonna be better but i'm i can't like fully bank on it um who am i missing um the the arizona coyotes they're probably gonna stink right like they're just the coyotes um i feel like oh the minnesota wild they'll probably be right in the middle third in the division have one more year of the parisi suitor contracts affecting their salary cap and then the following year i could really see them you know making a push for a run and signing someone huge and if they sign someone huge next summer I think they'd be like a Stanley Cup contender. I really do. But they have to wait for that sort of salary cap thing to disappear. Then you got the Blackhawks. Connor Bedard's going to have all the hype, all the guys we've talked about, all shows so far. You touched on Macklin Celebrini at Boston University. Are the Blackhawks going to be bad enough again to be in that mix, in your opinion? Or is the worst team in the Central Division maybe not near the three or four worst teams? in the other divisions across the NHL. Cause I think Philly probably right now, I haven't looked at the betting odds or anything, but they would be my guess based on roster of worst team in the league on paper. But like, where do the Blackhawks fit in, in that little mix right there?
2: And that's a I, health plays a huge role in that. Yes. Um, St. Louis got hurt a bunch last year and then they just decided to move on. I have no idea what the heck to make of them. I really don't because they haven't done a great job of, like, replacing a lot of stuff um, as much as they told us that they were going to. Like, I think that they're, they're hoping that a lot of young guys take a big step forward, but I'm not necessarily buying a lot of what they've done. Nashville fascinates me. I think they're going to be better just because they've – Barry Trotz is very clearly trying to fix the culture, and the first thing that he did to fix the culture was get rid of Johansson and get rid of Duchesne. Um. But the wild card for everything in the National Hockey League is who stays healthy and who develops, who takes a step forward. I think Winnipeg, if Winnipeg actually trades Hellebuck and Shifley, they're going to be terrible. <coughs> like they already bought out Wheeler, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's a New York Ranger. Like, yeah. so it's like you know, they, they trade Shifley and, and Hellebuck. They might be the worst team in this division, seriously. Um, you look around the, the rest of the NHL, and the, there are teams that are kind of teetering in that what-are-we category. I think Montreal is, the, for me, one of the biggest question marks. Like, who the hell are the Canadians? Everybody thought that, you know, it, every, Montreal fans had no problem extending every middle finger they could find at Chicago for the Kirby yeah. Dock trade early in the year because they looked great. And then everybody fell apart, and they went back to, you know, finding a top-five pick. Um Columbus with Mike Babcock like that's like, tough like and, and their farm system's
0: so good I don't really get I don't get that higher at all because I, the I, mean, I mean, for them. Look,
2: look they're going to get the number one defenseman back from injury this year when Wenberg being back is going to help them a ton uh, I think Goudreau will be better but are you going to look me in the eye and tell me that Patrick Laine and Mike Babcock are going to coexist <laughs> Seriously? You're going to tell of me course. that Patrick Liney is going to buy into that? No,
1: how about so... Provorov?
0: How about Provorov or Severson? Two defensemen who like to be riverboat gamblers sometimes under Babcock? What?
2: Yeah, I just I don't get that that head coaching hire. I really don't. I understand like wanting to change perception, but you don't you don't, have, you, you don't have you don't have a Steve Eiserman, you don't have a, a Sidney Crosby a Jonathan Taves you don't have that guy in Columbus who's going to interpret what Babcock is saying and get every who's the leader in Columbus that everybody's going to get in line behind and buy what Babcock is selling because is Babcock going to like do jumping jacks because he's got Johnny Gaudreau playing the defensive end of the ice 30 seconds a week
0: yeah, of course.
2: And I'm sliding Goudreau with that, but you get what I'm it's saying true. here. It's like, so, you know, when I Anaheim shocked me that they were as bad as they were last year, they just signed Leo Carlson earlier today. So he's going to apparently be there, but, you know, adding a six foot three center, who's 18 years old. Does he suddenly make Troy Terry a defensively responsible player? I, I really what, 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 what has improved about Vancouver that they're suddenly going to take a step forward other than everybody on the roster is a year older, so they're supposed to be better now?
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like what Vancouver so, has So like, when at you all. look
2: at the bottom of the league, it, if you look at the – let's just pinpoint the top ten picks in the draft from this year. I submit even without let's, – and let's remove the guys that they drafted. The team that's improved the most – in the bottom 10 in the league, the top 10 picks in this year's draft, has been the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah, I agree. And and respectfully to the hockey gods, you don't get that lucky twice. So, like, let's just – for right now, let's ignore that Celebrini exists because I don't think it's coming to Chicago. Philly took a big step back. Um, Anaheim, I don't know what to do with. Columbus, I don't know what the hell is going on because I, I I I the Babcock thing is either going to they will either be a playoff team or they will be a, an all-time dumpster fire right and mm-hmm. I don't think that I don't think that he's going to be as cool developing guys as Torts was in Philly no someone like Torts embraced it right which I'm like what was that so yeah. like when I look at that when I look at the bottom 10 I think that a lot of the bottom 10 I think Montreal will should be better just based on having guys come in, having guys be more ready. I don't know what to expect from Slavkovsky, last year's number one overall. But if he gives them anything and Doc can stay healthy and Caulfield can stay healthy and Suzuki can stay healthy, I think that they'll be better. But I think when you look at the top ten picks in next year's draft, I think you can put the same – probably eight or nine of the same names in the hat and just mix the order up a little bit based on which teams stay healthy – and which teams make the right moves between now and when the regular season starts. But there are guys out there, Tarasenko, where he lands, could completely change a a team's outlook. Um, You know, it sounds like Patrick Kane doesn't want to sign until closer to when he's able to go, which might be in season. That might be a November signing. So he'll be able to sit back and poach. Dallas has been in on him for a long time. They were asking about him before the draft last year. So I, it, it'll be very interesting. But, I, you know, Vancouver sitting at 11, I would probably say St. Louis will be better just because the dust has settled from the fire sale that they had last year. And I do think that they've got some adequate pieces. And Arizona and Chicago being in that division, they should take a step forward. But, you know, you bring up Minnesota, you know, they've got this year and next year with the $14 million in dead money for Parise and Suter. And then it drops to, I think, eight whatever, 800000 and change for three more years after that. But, I mean, this is a really crappy time for Minnesota to have that much dead money, especially when Souter goes down and plays viable minutes in Dallas, right? You mm-hmm. couldn't find a way to put him into a role where he could be successful. You couldn't find a coach that puts Ryan Souter in a position to succeed instead of having dead money. Zach Parisi had 20 goals. right. Like for me, that, like, I, I feel like they, they snipped their own hamstring when they bought those two guys out because you're at a time where you're this close, right? Like, I, I think Dallas might win the division next year because I really don't know what Colorado's doing and I'm worried that they're not going to be able to stay healthy again. Um, Dallas is just a really good team. They've got a really good identity. They know who they are, they know what they're supposed to do. They're veterans of, willingly taking that back seat to the next generation. Robertson's got to be healthy. I think that you saw in the playoffs he wasn't right and everything fell apart. But I, I really like Dallas. Um, Colorado, if they're healthy, can be really good. But I, you talk about the draft next year, I think it's going to be probably – I would flip Vancouver for St. Louis, and I would say you're going to have the same ten teams. Throw them, throw them in a blender and see who lands where. But that's probably what I, I think the top ten will be next year. But in that top ten, I I would submit that Montreal, if they stay healthy, will improve the most. But the team that on paper has externally improved the most is the Chicago Blackhawks with the veterans that they've brought in and just the reality that Connor Bedard is going to be here. And let's not sell short, you should get 75 to 82 games of Lucas Reichel, who showed that he can be an impactful player at the NHL level level last year.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm excited for this year. Uh, I think they're going to be a really fun team even if they're not good, kind of answered this question already, but what would you say your ceiling is for the Hawks or maybe your expectations of like where they could get? Cause I, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs me personally, but if they were a bubble team, some miraculous way, it wouldn't shock me as much as other people. I just kind of want to know and pick your brain where you think their ceiling would be. this oh, year. I, don't think,
2: I, I don't think they're a playoff team yet. Um, but I think that they'll be more exciting to watch. I think they're going to give more teams a handful. And, you know, I I do think Arizona is going to be better this year because they had some young guys like Clayton Keller take a big step forward last year. The question for them is how do they balance the off-ice drama with what they're doing on the ice? Because those young guys are going to spend their entire training camp answering questions about are you looking for real estate in Salt Lake City, Kansas City, where are you going to live in two years? Um, which is really hard when you've got a team that's really built around guys in their early 20s to have them wearing the burden of, hey, so no one here wants to vote for you to have an arena. Why wouldn't you move? That, that's a tough spot for young guys to be in. But I do think that they'll be better. Um, for me, I, I think if Winnipeg falls off big time, which I think they will, I, I think they slide. I think the Hawks are probably somewhere in the bottom three in the division still. I do think that you're going to see some guys still get moved out, uh, at, you know, around or before the trade deadline to help other teams out because they are still rebuilding. You're going to have growing pains. You know, we haven't talked about what the shape of the Blackhawks blue line is, which is, again, that's probably a whole other podcast episode, but you're going to have young guys. If Korchinski makes the, makes the roster, he's going to make mistakes. Chicago fans don't really remember what Keith and Seabrook looked like when they were screwing everything up when they were kids because the home games weren't on TV and 2,500 people were buying tickets. Most of them were fans of the team that was visiting that night. If you were there, you remember you sold 8,000 tickets when Detroit was in town and 6,000 of them were to Michigan zip codes. So there will be mistakes. Vlasic will make mistakes. Isaac Phillips will make mistakes. Connor Bedard is going to make a lot of mistakes and his mistakes will get taken advantage of very quickly in the national hockey league. The The thought that he's going to come in and walk on water and, you know, turn water into wine and everything else is just ludicrous, even though he is the goods. Like I'm more confident that he's going to turn out than a lot of people that have been drafted very highly in every sport in the last decade. But He's young. He's seven. He'll be 18 when the season starts. He's going to spend his entire rookie season, 18 years old in the national hockey league. He will make mistakes. He's human. And so because you've got a young team, because you're still growing into this NHL thing, in many regards, there will be mistakes. They're still not going to be a great team and they're still in a division. That's really good at the top. Colorado's really good. Dallas is really good. Minnesota is probably going to be really good again. Nashville, I think, is going to be pretty good. I think St. Louis will be okay. But the Western Conference is very good at the top. And because of that and the way that the schedules play out, I think that the Blackhawks will still be probably in that, like, fifth to seventh range in the lottery balls uh, when the Macklin Celebrini Festivus convenes in May of next year. But I do think that they're going to be better. I think they're going to be a lot more interesting to watch. And I'm excited – for covering this team because all of the questions about when are you going to trade this guy, this guy, this guy, this every single question, every practice was, have you talked to your agent? When are you going to get traded? It was Domi. It was Athanasiu. It was Tyler Johnson. It was Connor Murphy. Seth Jones even got it, even though he's got seven years left. Every veteran on the team was, when are you going to get traded? Have you waived your no trade clause yet? Which markets do you want to go to? Let's all speculate about it. And the young guys were just kind of staring at it like, what do we do here? So this year, you're, all of that dust has now settled. And everybody else in the room is going to have pressure off of them because Conor Bedard is going to have to face every microphone you've ever seen. You've got the, a team that was one of the worst in the league ripping the, the roof off on opening night on ESPN against Sidney Crosby and a non-playoff Pittsburgh team. Why? Because it's Sidney Crosby and Connor Bedard. So my expectations are staying fairly low, but at the same time, I think that they're going to be a much better team and a much more comfortable team in the room and on the ice because all of the questions about who's getting traded, how soon and when, have been answered now.
0: Absolutely. Every time you ask Connor Bedard, who's your favorite player, Sidney Crosby, Sidney Crosby. So you're right. When the Hawks play the Leafs, that is going to be insanity in terms of media coverage as well. And I like when you talk about the Canadians. Um, I think the Hawks and Canadians are kind of going to be around the same vein. My problem with Montreal, the head Atlantic division, like Boston, Toronto, Tampa Bay and Florida. Right. Like those are your four playoff teams from last year. My my, my question
2: about Boston, though, is what is Boston? Who the hell you're are right. Doing, right?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. But I, got no, I think with Lin- no, re-
2: no Krejci, no Taylor Hall, no Felino.
0: Yeah, no, it's a complete and, overhaul. Who have, they re- 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 who have
2: they replaced them with?
0: Van Lou Lucic, like that's not going to replace all the guys you named.
2: They're probably better than Montreal, though. So, like, they're still a play. they still probably a playoff team, but yeah, I don't think they're running away with that division like they did last year. I think no, they're no, not have at to all. Work their asses off to get in this year. Yes, everybody's it's just assuming that Buffalo best team ever. I mean, Detroit and Buffalo are both going to take big steps forward. And Ottawa. Buffalo was this close. I, I don't know what to do with Ottawa. Right. I really don't really? know what to do with Ottawa. I mean, Debrinkit didn't I, work. I, is Dominic Kubalik going to become a top-line forward no. for them?
1: No, no, no. Ottawa's just Ottawa. <laughs> <You did. laughs> I, like
2: yeah. Tim,
0: I like Tim Stutzla and I think Shabbat is awesome and they have some nice pieces that they're building I, I agree, around. I agree,
2: but the Ottawa Senators are the Chicago White Sox or the NHL. There's probably two or three guys that you want, want to have on your fantasy team. Me think about the white right now. makes Think
0: about the white There are right three now.
2: guys on your on that roster that you want on your fantasy team, and the rest of it's like, yep. what the hell are we doing here? Yeah, I mean, that's, Stutzel's that's your true. Luis Robert, right? Yep. Shabbat's oh, yeah. your Iloy oh, yeah. Jimenez. He'll give you 80 yep. percent of a season healthy, and from there it's like, ooh, look 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 at their goaltending. Yep, bad ownership right. for a long time. All right. You know now, you know, and the ownership thing still isn't even settled. Yeah, they are still trying to figure that out. So, like, w- what what am I supposed to buy about Ottawa that says that they're not picking in the top ten next year? Other than Pierre Doria telling us for the last five years that they're going to be a playoff team. Yeah,
0: that's they're true. They're looking and-
2: up at Buffalo and they're looking up at Detroit, and they just helped Detroit move further past them in the standings, in my opinion. Yes, because and they're not getting drink that thing. Line with Dylan Larkin is a perfect spot for him. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. And they're not getting that same year from Giroux again. Right. I'd be shocked if he puts together that exact same season.
2: Yeah. I, know, I have, think Giroux still a, a very good viable player, but yeah, I mean, it, I think that division is going to be a lot deeper, stronger, tougher. I love Buffalo and I, it pains me to stay in Chicago, but I think Detroit is ready to jump. I really do. I think Marit Sider had his sophomore bump last year. He figured out what being a National Hockey League player with expectations and a year of tape for everyone else to watch what that means. Um, But I think, you know, Lucas Raymond is going to take a step. Lots of their young guys are going to take a step forward. That's a comfortable situation with Dylan Larkin for Alex Dabrinkit to come in and not have to be the guy. I think Ottawa looked at him like, you're a 40-goal scorer. You're the guy. We're putting you on the cover of the media guide and every billboard in town. And that's not who Dabrinkit is. It's not he, – he was second fiddle to Patrick Kane his whole time in Chicago. He benefited from skating on the line with Patrick Kane. Some people have made the argument that Patrick Kane made him. I give him more credit than that. I think at that size, if you're able to score 41 goals, you got something going on. Yes. I think the coaching didn't know how to put him effectively on a power play unit up there, um, and they just – they screwed around with how and where they were using him, and it just didn't work. And Detroit will know how to use him, and Detroit will know how to weaponize him. I mean, the coaches in Detroit knew how to use Tyler Johnson on a power play in Tampa. Yes, and respectfully and to Tyler Johnson, he's never been a 41 goal scorer.
0: No, and Kane Kane was hurt too last year, but he also he he missed to break it too. I think we would all agree.
2: Oh, oh yeah. yeah, absolutely did. But I just I think Detroit and Buffalo take a big step forward. I I have no idea what the heck Boston really is. I'm fascinated with what the Rangers are going to be. I love the Blake Wheeler signing, but I still think that they're they're torn between really really good veterans that everyone's going to buy tickets to see, but wait for this kids line to develop. And what the hell is the kids line? I think Lafreniere is a third line guy long term, yeah. but I but I think Capo, Caco, and Philip Hedl could probably do more. Mm-hmm. Um, I Washington's a dumpster fire. I think they probably slide into that top 10 because respectfully to Dylan Strom, he's not Nick Backstrom and with no Nick Backstrom. There's no nothing. So you'll still pay to watch Ovi, but you know, I look at that division and I'm like, you know, the, the Eastern conference, the playoff teams in the Eastern conference across the board, in my mind, all got better the two or three teams right outside of that picture got better. I'm not buying that Pittsburgh got better. I'm not buying that Washington got better. I think Ottawa got worse, and I think Boston got a lot worse. And so that's where I think Boston's probably in that, like, five to seven range in the Eastern Conference right now for me on paper. That could all change, right? Bergeron could be like, give me a million five with with bonuses like last year, and I'll, I'll swing back for a victory lap just to see if we can get her done one more time. But – in, in a league that's that fast, what the hell is Lucic going to do?
0: Mm-hmm. No, he's going to wear the. He's going to have to hook Page
2: Thompson and hope that he keep like Tage yeah. pulls him up the ice. Yeah, yeah I, I don't mean, think the points will
1: be as good this year as last year. I, mean, no. I, th-
2: I think they took a huge step back with the <laughs> defections, uh, but I, st- I don't think they're done. I think Boston knows what they've got coming back, and they know that they need to pounce. And there's still some big ticket players that are going to need to get paid, and guys that are going to get traded. And I think that they'll, they'll be in the mix to make something significant happen between now and training camp because they're the Boston Bruins. But right now, I'd, I'd, I'd have
1: them in like the 5-7 to seven range in the East. I think the Rangers take a step back too, to be honest with you. A little bit, not much. I, I don't like the quick signing. I think it was stupid. I think it's going to hurt them long term.
0: Wheeler helps them versus everybody except the Devils and Hurricanes, in my opinion. Yeah, the I hope- two
2: teams right. out of them. I mean, look, I, I, don't, I, don't, I think if you're asking Jonathan Quick to give you more than 18 games. Yeah. Like he doesn't have it anymore, but that's a team that's going to ride their number one hard. The question is in the playoffs, are they, are they going to be a team that empties the barrel in the regular season and gets another Vesna and has, you know, a couple guys making a case for a heart and then, and they're all running on E by the time the playoffs show up. Yep. But I think the New Jersey devils are going to be the, they're, for me, there were the Colorado Avalanche were two years ago. You look at that roster and say, "Holy crap, what are we doing?" And I think you look at the Buffalo Sabers and you say, "Holy crap, what are we doing?" Yeah, especially their blue line. Buffalo's blue. I, so every good. everybody talks about how good Dalene is, and everybody forgets that Owen Power was right there for the Calder, and he's what six four.
0: Yeah, he's six four, and just can move too. Yeah.
2: So, it's an yeah, wagon. I mean, for me, I, I think the Rangers are built to be a great regular season team, but I think that they're going to empty the barrel in the regular season and they're going to have to get creative at the deadline to find a way to have some juice left for the playoffs. And I, I, I think the Tarasenko-Kane thing was the wrong moves. If I, if I were them and I'm going to commit that kind of cap space, I would have been swinging on younger guys with some term. And I think that if someone's willing to give you a guy that's got some term that can fill a middle six role for Lafreniere, you'd do it. When yeah. people were talking about when the Patrick Kane rumors were swirling and they're like, well, just trade him for Lafreniere, one for one. I'm like, I wouldn't do that. I don't want to negotiate the second contract of a number one overall pick who has underwhelmed for three years. I want nothing to do with that. Because, I mean, everybody forgets that he had the exceptional status and everything else coming into the draft. But – I just I, I don't know what to make of him, and they need that line to have juice for the playoffs, and I don't know if, if I can buy it, but I still think the Rangers are a really good regular season team. Um, but I, I if I'm in the Eastern Conference, if I'm a fan of the teams that aren't the New Jersey Devils, I'm scared to death because the Devils have enough depth that they could have a catastrophic injury and still be a playoff team next year. I really feel that way because guess what? they were one of the best teams in the National Hockey League, and Luke Hughes didn't show up until the end of the year.
0: Yeah. And, and by the way, if you're, if, you're, if
2: you're a gambler, everybody's tweeting out the odds for the Calder, and Luke Hughes' name is, like, nowhere on the list. Give me that. Everyone
0: just assumes it's always going to be the number one pick every year, even though the number one pick every year is 18, and you got guys who have two years of college experience coming into the league, and everybody, when they win the Calder, everyone's like, oh, yeah, why didn't I think of that? So, yeah, I definitely right. think Luke Hughes will give – Bedard and Fantilli and Carlson, some some run for oh, their money. In the in terms situ- I think
2: he's in the best situation to win it.
0: Yeah, 100%. You're handing him
2: the keys of the top power play unit with that lineup? Yeah.
0: That's going to be good for Luke. To,
2: He doesn't have to skate 24 minutes a night as a 20 year old who just spent two years at Michigan with all these other guys that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. And he'll, he'll, he'll be sheltered from hard. With minutes. own power? Like, yep. So if, if I'm a gambling man, I would take Luke Hughes to win the caller because I think the situation and the player just line up too perfectly.
0: Absolutely, and I think yeah.
2: I think I think he's a 65 70 point defenseman as a rookie this year. I really Sign do.
0: me up, tab. You're hyping me up. Let's go. Is it October yet? No, well, you I am. brought me in
2: to throw your your New Jersey Devils some hype train.
0: Well, you know what. I told Frankie this a couple weeks ago. I don't feel bad for anyone. We were—I say we. I hate when people do that, and I just did it. They were so bad for so long, and the announcement of Kovalchuk's retirement was the 10-year anniversary a couple days ago, and I had to watch those videos on my Twitter timeline all day. They were horrible. I, like they were so bad for 10 years. They had the one Hall year, and then they got smoked by Tampa in the first round. Now they're finally good again. I'm like, let's win three in a row. I mean, for real. Frank, Mm -hmm. I know you probably have one more for Tab before we let him get out of here. He's been so generous with his time.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, we talked a little bit about the free agents the Hawks brought in, the draft picks that they, you know, drafted this year but we really didn't get to talk about much of any college free agents you think the Hawks may target. Are there any that stick out for you?
2: Uh, Not really anymore. Um, I've looked at it and there've been some guys that were interesting. I think at this point they're probably looking at if there are some college guys probably offering them AHL contracts in Rockford
1: Mm
2: -hmm. um, and giving them an opportunity to come in and play with young guys that have, high ceilings and get an opportunity to show in front of a front office. That's going to have some wiggle room in the near future. But when you look at when you look forward towards the end of this coming season, I still expect the Blackhawks to sign Landon Slaggard, even though he went back to Notre Dame. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: I wouldn't be surprised at all if they offered Aiden Thompson and Dominic James paper. I think they'll aggressively pursue Ryan Green after a sophomore year. If he can do what he did last year, improve what he did last year at Boston University, that's three centers. Um, you know, I, when you look at – I think Nazar is a guy that if he can have a fully healthy season, they're intrigued. I think they'd love for Oliver Moore to take two years at Minnesota just because they've got all these other guys that they got to sign at some point. But, you know, the Blackhawks didn't have any centers for such a long time, and now they've got like 40 of them, it feels like. But yeah. I, I think, I think Slaggard will be a guy that you probably see be like this year's Wyatt Kaiser, signs when Notre Dame season ends, gets like a half dozen games to run in the NHL to burn the first year of his ELC. He's a good bottom six guy with a lot of leadership capability who can kill penalties. I love his game, even though he had a down year at Notre Dame last year He was dealing with some injury stuff. But as far as right now, college free agents, I don't think there's anybody that the Hawks really need to target because it kind of circles back to the beginning of our conversation to put a bow on this thing. Drafting Connor Bedard changed the approach from bottoming out to building stability, building a core, and building a compete. And I think if you're, if you're scraping the bottom of the barrel, and I, again, respectfully to Cole Gutman, I'm not saying that they were scraping the barrel for him because he was a really good player in college, but if you if you get to August 1st and you're looking at the list of college free agents for NHL roster spots, you're not trying to do something this year. And I think that the Blackhawks, with the veterans that they brought in and Gutman being in the mix, and the guys that they've got ready to take the next step, best case scenario, the Hawks are looking at AHL contracts for – for college guys. And there might be a few that end up in Rockford, but I think right now you've got, assuming they, they sign Kirishov, you've got 15 to 17 forwards fighting for 12 spots in the NHL. And on the blue line, I don't think there's anybody coming out of college that hasn't been signed yet because you don't get out of college and not sign if you're that good, especially on the blue line. So, and they've got enough young defensemen coming that, I really think Korchinski's going to get a, a look to start the season in the NHL, but you've already seen Phillips, Kaiser and Vlasic at, at the National Hockey League level, and they've got some veterans, so I don't see where on the roster there's a spot for a college free agent, frankly. So I think if they do anything, it'll be Rockford, but I think they're I think they're done shopping. You might see them make a, a minor trade to add a veteran defenseman on the right side at some point. but i think I think the Blackhawks are are pretty good right now up front, so.
1: Very
0: nice. Absolutely. Tab, we can't thank you enough for your time. It's been over an hour, and you've given us so much thoughtful information and opinion, and the way you speak about hockey, it really is inspiring, and I enjoy, I enjoy it so much. So thank you very much. Before you go, promote yourself a little bit. Tell people where they could read your upcoming stuff or maybe something you posted today or yesterday that you're proud of.
2: I appreciate it, boys. Uh, you can find me on Bleacher Nation uh, at BN underscore Blackhawks is the handle for them. At the one tab is me on Twitter and threads now uh so i got to push that threads out there even though i'm still trying to figure out how the hell to do content there um it's hard to figure out like who am i following and why is this person showing up and wow (laughs) put some clothes on um but uh yeah at the one tab on twitter and threads uh if you want to see pictures of me smoking cigars or my kids playing baseball that's it on instagram too um but, yeah, uh, Bleacher Nation uh, and on Twitter and threads, come, come see me and tell me where I'm wrong. Love to have the feedback. <laughs> Thank you, Absolutely,
0: Tim. tap. You're wonderful. You do great stuff. And we can't wait to have you back again yep. sometime soon.
2: Appreciate it. Everybody, we'll talk soon.
0: of course. And, everybody, we will send you to period number two.
1: Oh, you forgot to send it to period number one again when we had a guest. Oh, my name's Frankie. I mean, hey, I didn't, I didn't say it. You said it. You brought it up. I bring it up
0: every time. Because that – remember, who was it that I did it, I did it on purpose? There, there was far from on purpose on this one. I absolutely wanted to send it to period number From now on, when we have a guest, just throw a little floater in the private chat. Like, hey, mother –
1: send it to period number one already. It doesn't matter. It's not like he would have minded the extra ten seconds. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Or just for any guest in general. Like if they don't have an extra ten seconds, then I mean don't don't come on, right? Well, like,
0: Tab gave us an hour and ten minutes. So yeah, that was I great. think I think he enjoys talking some hockey and yeah, that's outstanding stuff. Well, there was a little bit of breaking news Tab did touch on it. Mm-hmm. Um The second overall pick, Leo Carlson of the Anaheim Ducks, did sign his entry-level deal. That one is notable. Bedard hasn't yet. Fantilli has. But we knew Fantilli would and we knew Bedard will. We know Bedard will. Mm -hmm. Um, What We weren't positive about Leo Carlson. He he could go back to Sweden for another year. He could do the the 9-10 thing. There were... Somebody on Spitting Chicklets asked him if there's a chance he plays in the dub, meaning the WHL. He goes, no, Um, you know, which is hilarious. Um, If you haven't listened to that, Fantilli, Fantilli did it by himself. And then Leo Carlson with Ryan Leonard, the Washington Capitals draft pick. Um, I believe Leonard went to the Caps, right? Um, right. They did it together because they have the same agent. And Leonard is like this college kid who's like kind of a meanie and he's a fighter and stuff. And, you know, freaking Leo Carlson's like this Swedish kid who's all nice. Um, he's like, you know, sitting there just kind of like humble to himself and stuff. Well, he will be an Anaheim duck next year. I don't know if he'll see time with the San Diego Gulls, which is very possible. But Leo Carlson is officially signed in the NHL. And that's awesome news. And then there's other news that I just wanted to slightly touch on. We don't need to talk about it too much. But Jesper Boquist, former New Jersey Devils player, second round pick in 2017, um, he signed with the Boston Bruins, so um, good luck to him in Boston. It, he had some good moments with the Devils, but nothing worth you know, thinking he'd be sticking around too long, but he'll be a nice depth piece for the Bruins. Um, some nice words in the chat. Um, Tom says, best interview with Tab. Good job, boys. Skoke says something that would be news to me. I didn't know this. He could sign his uh, contract once he turns 18. It is the 17th. We know that because that's also Mr. Mueller's birthday here frankie mueller and Connor bedard share a birthday which is next monday um i did not know that if that were true that he would have to wait until his 18th birthday so if on your birthday Connor bedard which is also his birthday, signed birthday. His, yeah his entry-level deal that would be pretty cool as well and um thank you Skokes, for the note if that is in fact true i believe every word you say though so um lots of buddy fucking robinson chat and the conversation out while we were t- interviewing with Tab and I was trying really hard not to laugh because I don't know if Tab would like you know think I'm just an idiot every time I bring up Buddy fucking Robinson and how he almost fucked up the Hawks getting Connor Bedard because he th- it was an asshole and decided to score goals late in the season when not a soul wanted the Blackhawks to win any of those games Um yeah Buddy fucking Robinson he turned out to be somebody we don't have to hate so that's nice
1: It
0: is nice. Yeah. So, um, Frank, there was some big news over the last week and not a lot of news. Um, It's not like the second period is going to be loaded with all this news that made our jaw hit the floor over the last week or so. But I would say the Alex Dobrinkit trade is rather... Um, significant. He will be going from the Ottawa Senators to the Detroit Red Wings after one year there, after being with the Chicago Blackhawks for the previous three before that, something like that. Um, It'll be interesting to see how he plays with his new team. He is a um, native of Farmington Hills, uh, Michigan, so he will be wearing the winged wheel as a Detroit Red Wings fan growing up and Michigan kid. What
1: are your thoughts about the trade? Not surprised. He was on my list of, or the Red Wings were on my list of teams that he would maybe go to many weeks ago when the DeBrinckit rumors started to swirl about him being traded. Ottawa receives Dominic Kubalik, so you got two ex-Blackhawks being traded for one another. They also got Donovan Sabrango and a 2024 conditional first-round pick and a 2024 fourth-round pick. For the Detroit Red Wings, absolutely huge. You're getting a two-time 40-goal scorer, an extension, for four years at thirty-one and a half million dollars, that's seven point eight seven five million per year, which is which is nuts to think because that lines up right with our ten points per million exactly. His career high is seventy-eight points, and he's making seven point eight million per year. And if you notice something with Tab said, McDavid had one hundred and fifty-three points, and he says McDavid could, should be earning about fifteen million. Once again, right on line for the ten points per million. I feel smart about that because that's something we came up with. We didn't get that from anybody. So it seems like we developed a pretty good formula that, I mean, maybe is subconsciously what a lot of people are using to de- to determine contracts. But I think the Hawks got a win here too. Nobody talks about the Hawks uh, win the trade, but I think it's a big win. They got the seventh pick, which turned out in the 2022 NHL draft, which turned out to be Kevin Korchinski got a 2022 second round pick that became a prospect forward, Paul Ludwinski. And they also got the Senator's third round pick for next year, which obviously we don't know what that's going to turn into, but you know, of course I wanted the Hawks to have to bring it. Who doesn't, who doesn't want a two time 40 goal scorer, but I think this benefited the Blackhawks in the long run. And because of that, we were able to draft part of our future defensive core. So I think the Hawks and Red Wings are big winners here. And I agree with tab. You know, getting to pick his brain a little bit about the Ottawa Senators, I, I think they kind of they lost. They're the big losers here.
0: I completely agree. Yeah. Um, Detroit is showing us something that, and Ottawa, but then the wrong way, are showing us something that's very important in the NHL. And listen, the Hawks got something else out of the Dabrinka trade too, and let me make this very, very clear. They got Bedard out of the Dabrinka trade too. I, I told you last summer – Trading to Brinka is a wonderful idea. I know it sucks. He's fun to root for. He's got a cool name. He scores lots of goals. It's awesome. He's a winger. That's not a dime a dozen. You could trade for Timo Meyer. You could find a way to find Jesper Bratt. Good scoring wingers are a dime a dozen. Now, wingers like Marner and Patrick Kane and Taylor Hall in his prime, those are different. Those are wingers that drive offense like a center. Those are the ones that get paid the hefty bucks. Okay? Those are a little bit different. But the 40 goal-scoring wingers that have, like, 20, 30 assists, you you could trade for Phil Kessel like Pittsburgh did. You know? You you just can it, It's just a thing. Like, you could trade for Tarasenko. Mm-hmm. Those guys become available so regularly. You know what doesn't become available so regularly? a number one center yeah. or if or if you're a team lucky enough to have two number one centers you know a high end first line center and a really high end second line center we've seen Detroit start to build that okay we've seen the devils they've built that they have Heisher and Hughes if those two went down Meyer and Brat they're nice players like they're good There's a reason they're like high shooting volume wingers, but like the playmaking, make everybody around them centermen are keys in the NHL. Now, the Hawks won three cups with only one of those types of centers, but they had the Patrick Kane, right? Like the the winger that is just a little bit different. He's not your typical, just pure goal scoring winger. Um, The Capitals didn't win the Stanley Cup on the back of Ovechkin pumping out 50 goals every year. It wasn't really until Nicholas Backstrom and Evgeny Kuznetsov, and they built a really solid defense, and Holpe was outstanding in net. Wingers, and Ovechkin does fit in that marner Kane. He doesn't really drive offense quite like them. He's very reliant on you know, shooting one-timers and the power play goals and whatnot. Not pooping on Ovechkin. He's one of the 10 greatest players who ever lived. I just... When you look how to build a winning hockey team, the debrinkit trade exactly shows why certain teams succeed and why certain teams fail. The Ottawa Senators are built around a bunch of wingers right now. is playing wing at this point in his career. Kachuk is a winger. Okay, and listen, Brady Kachuk, he might be Marner, Kane, because Matthew certainly is. But I think the top teams in the league every year, they're just so strong down the middle. Stamkos, point. Okay, Kucherov is wonderful. He loves having himself an elite center to pass to and take passes from Crosby and Malkin. They're probably the greatest example of it in the last 30 years. Um, Carter and Kopitar elite center corpse for the Kings. And then you add in the defense, the Hawks are doing it the right way. They drafted freaking Bedard. They'd like to have a true number two center down the road. It's unfortunate that Kirby doc didn't really fit their timeline anymore, but they'll find themselves a number two center. Maybe it's Oliver Moore. You know, maybe he ends up playing wing, though, because he's so fast and he's somebody who can compete with Bedard. Like, it's just, you don't build around Debrinkit. You add Debrinkit when you're ready to start winning. When you have Dylan Larkin in place, you trade for Alex Debrinkit. They didn't have a Dylan Larkin in place in right. Ottawa. The Hawks now have a Bedard in place. You'll see them make a huge trade for a winger in like three years. They'll add their Timo Meyer or their Alex Debrinkit. That's how I believe hockey teams should be built. Um, it's very, very hard, and you need to be bad for a long time with the way the league is right now. But that's where I'm
1: at, yeah. I mean, you, you nailed it spot on. Tom also said in the chat, he's pretty sure that Skokes is spot on with the Bedard signing. So if you see Bedard sign with the Hawks next week, don't be surprised.
0: Absolutely, um, hopefully that happens because once that happens, I'll probably be. I, I think I'm gonna buy a Bedard jersey at a Hawks game. It'll be a little cheaper. It Probably Mm -hmm. the the price might not be cheaper, but you won't pay for shipping and handling. That's true. You'll you'll buy it there, and it'll be early in the season, so I'm hoping to just go in a T-shirt and throw it on over it. I do want a Bedard jersey, though. I think it's important for me to have a Bedard jersey. The Hawks aren't my number one team, but I am a Chicagoan. I root for the Hawks when they're not playing the Devils, and Connor Bedard is that type of player. I'll have a
1: Bedard jersey in my life. Yeah.
0: If you're frequently attending Blackhawks games, which I am, and you're rooting for the hawks every time except once at at the uc twice in general um you're going to need a Bedard jersey so i'm going to get me one of those um but yeah the Alex to bring to trade i don't know what ottawa is doing you knew they weren't going to get back what they gave up to get them mm-hmm. but they're in trouble i honestly i they're probably the second to last team in the atlantic division yeah, right now in trouble. yeah um I st- and, and they'll be they'll be entertaining. They'll be fun. I, they're not a Max \|\"Celebrini team at all. But I do think like their ability to take the next step has been hindered in the last year or so.
1: They're in the worst place possible
0: though. Uh, like, yeah, right? no. You know how you're I right feel about right, that. Right, right. Well, you look who you're talking to. I yeah. didn't want the Hawks to win Shane Wright last year. <laughs> you you know how I, I wanted them to get rid of DuBrinkket I was pissed when they didn't get rid of Murphy. They the lottery balls ended up working out in their favor anyway, but you know damn well how I feel yeah. about that. My favorite team is one of the best in the NHL right now because of how bad they sucked for so long mm-hmm. and they got lucky a couple times. You know picking in the top five is very very important even Colorado they have Nathan McKinnon who went one. Rantanen was seven. McCar was four. Those are their three best players. I mean, every now and then you get a Braden point. Right. Right. Like in the third round. But and every now and then your top picks don't pan out like this one who just signed with the San Jose Sharks, Philip Zadina. I thought Phillip Zadina when he was one of my draft crushes in 2018. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm not right about everyone. There are some people I end up being right about, like freaking Trevor Zegers. I wanted him to go fourth. I wanted it to go Hughes, Kakko, Byram, Zegras. Everyone thought I was crazy. Now, I, I, even I was wrong. Everyone was wrong about Kako. Mm-hmm. Um but I and I and Zadina was probably fifth for me. Or no, Zadina was the year before. I that's what I meant. And he didn't go. Freaking the Hurricanes or the Canadians took Kakaniemi, which was also a dumb pick. But I was like no Zadina he ended up falling to Detroit they wanted Quinn Hughes but when Zadina fell they went away from their plan they end up terminating him and he goes to
1: the San Jose Sharks your thoughts yeah it's a a pretty good deal one year 1.1 million dollar contract good deal for the Sharks um yeah you know he didn't turn out the way that everyone thought he would be but you know he should see more time on the top two lines with the Sharks He really hasn't shown that he could be a top six forward from the production we've seen in his career so far, but he has more of that opportunity, I think with the San Jose sharks. And you got to remember too, the sharks got Anthony Duclair this off season. So I could see Zadina maybe playing on a line alongside, you know, Duclair or Thomas hurdle, maybe throw him on a line with Logan Couture and see what sticks Uh, David Quinn. He'll have a lot of options for Zadina. So, you know, the opportunities there, especially with this rebuilding team, so I think we may see a greater chance of opportunity to see maybe a little bit of more spark from Zadina than we have on previous teams that he's been on.
0: I agree. And Zadina's got a great ability to shoot. Wait, what?
1: Like the Red Wings. Like, I mean, there's really not a lot of opportunity there. With they're They're becoming, like, really good. So your chances of fitting into a top six role on the Red Wings, not very high, you know? So –
0: yeah, I'm looking. I'm gonna actually pull up what Daily Faceoff has as their line combination right now. So the top line is as of right now slated to be Lucas Raymond, Dylan Larkin, and Alex Debrinkit. Um I don't know what number DeBrinket's gonna choose because you can't wear 12 in Detroit. Um, but JT Comfort with Perron and Jonathan Bergerin is supposed to be their second line. I and they have Andrew Copp with Fabry and Sprong on their third line. That's a nice top nine. And they added Clem Coston to play with Michael Rasmussen and Christian Fisher on the fourth line. Fisher's been around. We know about Rasmussen when he was with the Hawks. Clem Koston, you might remember, scored a couple of big goals for the Edmonton Oilers in the postseason this year. Um, Detroit, I don't think they're like this world-beating team. I think they're a wild-card team at best, but I do think they take big steps here in 2023-24. So, and. Without Zadina, obviously that you know it is what it is. But I wish him well with the Sharks. I will say that.
1: I don't think it'll hurt the uh, the Red Wings though.
0: No, no. Yeah,
1: and it's gonna help the Sharks. I think a lot more. It really could, but I think the opportunity is there.
0: Yes, it absolutely is because he's a high, he's a highly skilled player, and if they shove him on a line with Logan Couture, and you know, they, they see what happens. Obviously, the Sharks are rebuilding. They have some young guns that are there that are going to come up and start making an impact. I love um, William Eklund. He was one of my draft crushes from the 2020 draft. Um, he's a very good player, so we'll see what happens there. Um, Alex Newhook, new contract with the Habs. What do you think?
1: Yeah, That's another uh, good contract, I would say, for the Canadians. Making only $2.9 million per year. Four years per um, – or four years, $2.9 million per. We saw a decent amount of promise out of New Hook with the Colorado Aval- Avalanche, um, which is – the Avalanche are obviously a team that's more talented than the Montreal Canadiens, but kind of like Zadina, I think New Hook's got more opportunity with the Canadiens. I mean, think about that Colorado team. New Hook's not going to fit in with those top guys in Colorado. You go to the Canadians, it's like, I have a chance to be great. You know, I mean, think about it. He was the 16th overall pick in the draft for the Colorado Avalanche. And he's only played two full seasons in the NHL. So we really haven't seen that ceiling of Alex Newhook. And I think the Canadians gave him a very very fair deal. And it's a very safe deal because if he turns out, to be like that great third line center who maybe gets maybe gets one of these years fifty points right because if he pans out the way he should he was supposed to be at sixteen he should get fifty points sometime in his career that's fantastic if he turns out to get a career high thirty three points again well you're paying him on the money anyway like he did with Colorado I mean he got his career high was thirty three with Colorado so the contract to me. Win win for the Canadians, absolutely. Plus, you never know what you're going to get with an athlete like Newhook on a new team. I think it's brilliant, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, no, I do too. And let me be very clear: I do stick with that, like points, ten points per million dollars or whatever. I like yeah. that. I like that for offensive players. Philip DeNo, well,
1: yeah. well, yeah, like like Philip, Philip,
0: yeah, Philip DeNo on the Kings. He might never have the ten points per million. I don't care but it is like a lot of the times with these contracts that are huge, they are highly offensively skilled players like the JT Millers and the Tage Thompson's and the, you know, the, the new hooks and whatnot. Like there are some players like defense, you can't really put money on. Like you just well, have to like negotiate a contract, right. but I really do like the 10 points per mill thing like so, that. It just makes so much sense.
1: So do I. And it's like, Everybody seems to use it subconsciously. Tab mentioned it. Every contract I mentioned today, Alex new Newhook, it's 10 points per million. And obviously you can't figure that in with everything, right? Because there might be 85-point players making $9.5 million, but you're also paying them that extra million for stuff that they don't contribute when they're not contributing offense. Maybe they got a little defensive ability, and that's where the extra million kicks in. Right, and obviously, when you're signing a goaltender, you're not going to take in points to consideration. And, like you said, defense I mean, Eric Carlson got over 100 points, he's not going to make 10 million dollars, right? So, I mean, there's generally speaking 10 points per million is the right way to go, my opinion.
0: Eric Carlson does technically make 11 mil against the Cowboys, but I'm
1: saying now, like going forward, like overpaid. No, I but know. But if he's going to sign a new contract, he's not going to make ten million. Man. No, not of course opinion. not. No, not of course
0: not. Yeah, no, I completely it is agree. It's kind of
1: funny that he makes.
0: He's actually overpaid because he makes the whole Evan Mill. He didn't have hundred and ten points. Sucks, cut him. <clears throat> cut him. He sucks. He's actually. We'll talk about him in a minute. He. I don't think he'll be wearing teal come October first. No. Um, Frank, something I found interesting. The Vegas Golden Knights already have their name on the Stanley Cup. All the Mm -hmm. names have already been engraved by the jeweler on the Stanley Cup. They're the first team to ever do it before their day with the cup. And they're the first
1: team to ever have four goaltenders sketched into it. What are your thoughts? The goaltender thing makes sense, right? And I'll explain why, because I have a little tidbit of how to get on the Stanley Cup. But the Stanley Cup's usually engraved in the fall. So I kind of hope this is the start of a new trend, because if I have my day with the cup, I want to show my friends and family, say, hey, look, my name's on the cup. I mean, yeah, it's great. You could look at Colorado Avalanche, the Blackhawks, Tampa Bay, look at all these great names. But if I won the cup and I have the day with the cup, I want my, I want to show it off. So I hope this starts a new trend. Maybe it will. The contingency or the requirements on how to get your name on the cup is you must have played at least 41 games in the regular season or at least one game in the Stanley Cup finals or a team may petition for players that do not meet those criteria if they wish to have their names etched into the Stanley Cup, right? So right now there's 27 players etched into the cup, 25 staff members etched in the cup, but... Why I'm not really surprised about the goaltenders and them being the first team to have four goaltenders is because of the criteria, criteria mentioned, right? First of all, you're never going to have – it's impossible to have four goaltenders play 41 games in the regular season. That's impossible. You only have an 82-game schedule. So that right there, your criteria, you don't fit that. Then are you going to have four, goalt- four different goaltenders play at least one game in the Stanley Cup final? Not really, unless things went downhill and he had a lot of injuries. Now, the Vegas Golden Knights obviously had a petition for uh, goaltenders to get on the Cup, right? Because Jonathan Quick didn't play 41 games this season. He didn't play in the Stanley Cup Final, right, if I'm not mistaken. It was all Aiden Hill. So, obviously, Quick was petitioned. Hill got it no matter what. Rossois and Thompson, I think, I don't, did Thompson play 41 games? Yeah. He played 41 games. So, Brassois and Quick were the two men that were petitioned. But they were key parts to this team. I mean, look what Quick did when he came. Brassois stood on his head when he was backing up Thompson. So, it makes sense that in a standard Stanley Cup winning team's year, you're not going to have four goaltenders on the Cup. I mean, it was just the way Vegas did it this year that makes sense. But, yeah, it's very interesting. I thought it was very interesting that they're the first team to have their names engraved before their day with the Cup. I thought that was pretty cool. Hopefully it starts a new trend.
0: But what I wanted to ask you, I wonder if being a backup in the Stanley Cup final counts. I would say no. If you say no, that makes sense then. Then Brozois and Quick would be two petitioned for Quick did back up in the Stanley Cup final. He right. was the-
1: according to the criteria, you have to at least play one game in the that Stanley makes cup. That makes sense.
0: So that makes absolute sense.
1: There would have to be two petitioned. And you could petition and the NHL says, no, screw you. I don't think that they deserve to be on the Cup. You know, this is an iconic trophy. You got to earn it. But I think Quick earned it with his time here. With you know, he what was he like nine and one in his first ten games. I mean, yeah, you played 10, and 11, 12 games, however many games, you earned it. I I'd say you were there as a backup, like you make I'm sure that went into their mind. Like he was there in case they needed him. Mm-hmm. And then is a no-brainer because he backed yeah, up Thompson.
0: Not only did he back up Thompson, he, he beat Winnipeg. Right. So he was the starting goaltender in round number
1: one. That's a no-brainer. <clears throat> Yeah, no, I agree. And quick, also, you think
0: there's a respect like it's Jonathan Quick, man? Like, yeah, won the he cup was ready twice already. If Hill got injured, yeah, no, I, all four goalies absolutely deserved to be on it for different reasons. Thompson was the regular season guy, might even be the regular season guy next year. Um, Aiden Hill also will likely be a regular season guy for them next year. Broswa beat Winnipeg, good backup in the regular season, yeah. Um, and then Quick is a legend. Right? Like, he literally, he'll be in the Hall of Fame, I think.
1: I think it'll Um, be quite some time before we see four goalies on the cup again. It'll be a long. Like, think about how long it's been, over 100 years. And there's this is the first time it's ever happened. Because you always got your ace in the Hall. Right? You always had that Vasilevsky. And there's not three other goalies joining the cup with Vasilevsky on the cup. You know, it's very tough.
0: Yeah. And, like, you need, like, the injury situation to work out perfectly. Everybody needs to get injured kind of at the right time. And normally if that happens, you suck and you don't win the cup because right. <laughs> you don't right. find a guy no, most teams aren't four deep. Um most teams aren't too deep. Some teams aren't one deep, Blackhawks. Okay. Um no, the Blackhawks are multiple. I, I love um what's his name? Soderblom, And I and I love Comeso's future. Um Noah Cates contract with the Philadelphia Flyers. Any thoughts on that one?
1: You know, he avoided arbitration. So, I mean, that's good for him. He's a valuable asset to the Philadelphia Flyers. They've made that very known. Um, It's all right. I mean, he's he's a great, strong two-way player, right? He had 107 shots last year, but he also blocked 86 shots. So, I mean, played in all 82 games. He's sort of their Iron Man, you could say, who's kind of – I mean, he's not going to put up a lot of points. He had 38 points last year. But he's a great two-way player, and I think they find some value in that in the bottom six. So, yeah, good for him.
0: Yeah, I agree. I was doing some research myself, and by all accounts, it seems like the Flyers like him. He's not the flashiest mm-hmm. player of all time. He's yeah. not He's not their next Giroux. He's not going to help keep them from getting Max Alabrini next year. But um, he's a player you need. <clears throat> yeah, he's a player you need, and if they do strike gold in the lottery or make a top-five pick, that'll help them a lot. He'll be somebody who's around to help. So just wanted to touch on that really quick. Frank, I know – you think uh, Kane might take a minute to sign Taves. um, We'll see what happens with him in his retirement. Then you have Eric Carlson, who is on the trade block as of right now. It sounds like it's either Pittsburgh or Carolina for Eric Carlson. Um, Hellebuck from the uh, uh Winnipeg Jets. Obviously, there are a couple teams that would like to have his services. I'm sure Buffalo Sabres would like to pair him with Devin Levi next year. Um, I, I think the Kings might be out of that sweepstakes, but it also wouldn't shock me if they find a way to go for Hellebuck. And then the New Jersey Devils. Those are kind of the three teams that I could see Hellebuck being traded to the most. Matthew Dumba, very solid defenseman still out there. Vladimir Tarasenko. Are any of these guys, you know, Things you're super interested in hearing about. Obviously, we know about Taves and Kane, but that's going to take a minute. Um, but as far as the other ones I named, like, what do you think there?
1: Yeah, I still think Taves obviously is going to retire, and I'm glad Tab is on the same page with me. And he said probably September, and that's where I am too.
0: He um, liked my yeah. Dallas comment though.
1: Oh yeah, I imagine think if he goes to, if he leaves the Rangers. Kane on which I I think he's going to he's going to Dallas. Like that just makes the most sense. In my opinion, cool. I agree with you. That'd be cool. Um, She will be (laughs) excited.
0: Hell yeah. No, that'll be cool.
1: As far as Eric Carlson goes, you nailed it on the head. Pittsburgh, Carolina. However, I see Eric Carlson signing with the Carolina Hurricanes. I mean, that is really the only vision I have. I don't see him in a Pittsburgh Penguins jersey because it doesn't really make sense, right? Like the Pittsburgh, it doesn't really help their cause. They're trying to win with their core, but you don't need that Eric Carlson, whereas the Carolina Hurricanes and their young core could use a guy like Eric Carlson, similar to them getting Brent Burns. They got, they went out and get that older defenseman to try and help them, right? It, I mean, it helps their younger core a little bit. Right now, Pittsburgh don't have that young core. You, you don't need Eric Carlson. I, I don't think it really helped their cause as much as it was, as much as it would help the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, Hellebuck. It's only a matter of time before he goes. They're, they already lost Pierre Luc Dubois. Blake Wheeler's gone. There's no reason for Hellebuck to stay in Winnipeg. That's a guarantee, right? His contract, I think, is what may be causing problems. He's on a $6.1 million contract for one more year, and then he's going to want a pay increase, right? And I don't think, and I don't know, I could just assume that Connor Hellebuck doesn't want to be a loner player. He Whatever team he's going to, I think he's going to want an extension. So it almost comes down to what team is willing to take his contract this year and extend him right? I think the next team we see Connor Hellebuck go to, he will be there for more than just the one year left on his contract. If he's a New Jersey Devil, three four year extension, maybe more, I don't know, but I, I don't see a one year rental in the future for Connor Hellebuck.
0: I don't either. I also, I'd be scared to give him eight
1: though.
0: He's 30. Like yeah, that's
1: hard. I wouldn't sign him for eight years. Yeah,
0: because then you have him, I for say sign him for Huh? Then you'd have him for nine because he's still got the one left.
1: What do you mean? I thought he's got one left and that's it. No, he's got
0: one left, so if you give him an eight year extension, it's nine.
1: Oh hell no, I wouldn't give him an eight year. Yeah, I'm looking for four or five. Why not a yeah, four or five year extension? I, I, I would love a two. I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe three, right? Three to four I, max. I would
0: deal with four, but anything more, I really probably would say no. And, run he's, it gonna, back and he's gonna
1: want a pay increase. He's not yeah. making less than six point one million. No. no. So it's and that's the problem. I think that's why he hasn't signed yet. It's like, who's gonna do are the devils willing to do that? I don't know what he's looking for either. He hasn't come out and said, I want six years.
0: I don't yeah. know what
1: he's thinking. I think the contracts what's causing a little bit of issues.
0: Yeah, for sure. What do you see about Skoke's comment here? I don't see Hawks going into the season with Mirazik and Soderblom. Mirazik can't stay on the ice. Definitely see the Hawks buying another tendy, either Tomas Grice or Keith Kincaid.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't really see them going after either of those two. I think Soderblom is going to be the number one this year. Maybe, I mean, I still think we're going to see Drew Camuso come up at some point. He signed his two-way contract, right? It was a two-way. I know he signed a contract, but I'm pretty sure it's two-way, so he could play in Rockford, obviously. um, Yeah, you know, the thing with you like, you're right with that. He can't stay on the ice. The dude's always hurt. Um, so I think they will start with those two goalies. And if injuries plays, plague Mrazek like they have in the past, maybe Camesso backs up. But, I, you know, I, I don't really know their goaltending situation right now. I, I I see Mrazek and Soderblom for the near future. But I agree with you. I, I don't see them necessarily finishing off the year with both those goalies.
0: I If it were up to me, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, if it were up to me, Soderblom and Kamesa would not play a minute in the NHL this season. Their defense is so bad. It is disgusting how bad their defense is. Seth Jones is good. Connor Murphy's fine. They they are not gonna keep the puck out of the net very well, I don't think. Or at least high danger chances on the net. And if Morazzik. In, you know, Chicago is a one-more-year thing. Freaking bring back Alex Stalock for another year. Like, run, let Rockford play so well with these two, Soderblom and Comesso next year, and just be a winning A.H.L. franchise. You can let Soderblom play a game or two to feel good. Let Drew Comesso make his NHL debut. They could bring in the family. It'll be awesome. But, like, for the most part, I'm running two veterans that you don't care if their state percentage is 750. I, I really, truly believe that. It's the Connor Bedard show next year. It's the Lucas Reichel show next year. It's, hey, how many goals can we score? Um,
1: I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's one of the biggest things up in the air right now. So I, either of us could be right, really.
0: Yeah, no, and I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying what I would do.
1: No, yeah, right. I could see it though. I could see it from both our perspectives, to be honest with you.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, goaltending issue for the Hawks right now. Um, they have to they have to develop what they have mm-hmm. unless they think they're gonna be in play for like a huge free agent when it's time to win. Uh-huh. And <clears throat> that's not always like the best way to go about things. I mean two two slightly above average goalies have won the last two Stanley Cups and then uh Vesna winner won the last two before that. So there's, there's ways to win both styles, but definitely a conversation that will be had for the next little bit here.
1: Absolutely. Um Frank,
0: good hockey conversation for being in the dog days of summer. Wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, we make the most out of it. We do what we got to do.
0: A hundred percent. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk about just a bunch of random stuff. If there's questions you want to ask, you know, keep them coming. Even if they are hockey related in the chat, we will address them. But we're gonna get into some of the fun things going on here in period number three.
1: Right. What's up? Your mic is a little weird. Is it still? Talk. Testing 10. Nine, 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 nine. Yeah, it's going like in and out. It's like.
0: Oh, that's weird. Has it been doing that all show.
1: No, just now. It's like cutting in and out.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Let me try. Better
1: now. it's better now. It's better now.
0: No, oh, okay, perfect. Yeah. Um, Frank, did you watch the home run derby?
1: Of course, I did. What'd you think? Julio's insane. Julio Rodriguez. They said set a sing. Uh, the first round record. Pretty sure forty-one home runs is an all-time round record. If I if I'm remembering correctly. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. beat Randy Rosarena. That was a little shocking, to be honest with you. I, Vladimir Guerrero won it in 2019. I didn't really pick him to win it again. Um, but, you know, hats off to him. Uh, yeah, it was it was very entertaining.
0: Um, yeah, absolutely. I got a little sidetrack here. I just saw something. Thomas Grice has announced his retirement from the National Hockey <laughs> League, Skokes. So I'm sorry to put that damper. <laughs> I, I, said popped, I didn't think he'd go for it. popped up on my phone right as I freaking saw that. So actually,
1: really funny. Yeah, poor Skokes.
0: I mean, <laughs> Grace isn't the guy you'd want anyway. But um, but yeah, no, I agree. I'm. It was fun to see your guy Julio make it all the way to the championship. Um, the way Wait, it didn't
1: he la- make it to the championship. Or, yeah,
0: he lost to.
1: I thought it was his to win after his first round performance. I said, "This dude's insane."
0: Yeah, I mean, at mobile Park, I felt that way about Luis Robert Jr. after the first round too. I mean, holy shnikes! <laughs> it, it was a it was a good first round though, and that always happens every year. Someone dominates the first round, like oh, they're gonna win, and then you remember that human beings are different, and you know sometimes people handle like the second round just a little bit differently and stuff, but. I mean, I, I really enjoyed watching it. It was fun seeing a Sox player win around, especially against that Baltimore Orioles superstar, Adley Rushman. Um, it was, I just thought it was a great balance. Um, I did kind of go in, and I should have just bet on both of them. I went in thinking that the winner of the Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Mookie Betts first-round matchup was going to end up winning the whole thing, and damn it, it ended up happening. And But, hey, it was fun to watch.
1: It was very fun to watch. I look forward to the home run derby every year.
0: Yeah, me too. What about the all-star game?
1: The all-star game was a lot of fun to watch too. Um, you know, the AL owns the NL when it comes to the all-star game. And I just had a gut feeling. This was the year. The streaks got to end eventually, right? Like all streaks come to an end. Uh, it just felt like the NL's year, here. And all of a sudden the AL up two to one in the seventh going into the eighth. I'm like, oh, I guess here we go again. Another year for the AL to win, and then Elias Diaz hits a two-run homer in the top of the eighth inning to give the National League the lead. He goes on; the, the National League goes on to win three to two. He goes on to win the NA, the MLB All Star Game MVP. And you know what was crazy about that at bat is that was his first ever All Star Game at bat, and he hits a two out game winning or not two out a two run game winning homer that turned out to be the game winning. So I mean, and then. Julio Rodriguez comes up to bat with two outs, bottom of the ninth, with the winning run at home plate in front of a Mariners crowd at T-Mobile stadium. I thought the writing was on the wall. I said, he's going to put it to Pluto. He's going to win it in front of the Mariners crowd with two outs, bottom of the ninth. He walks, makes it a little interesting, but the AL can't get it done. And that was that. It was a very, it was a good game. It was a good game.
0: Yeah, it was a good game. I liked the pitching. Um, Congrats to the National League on winning for the first time since 2012. Um, It's obviously a long time, and they won. It's funny. They won in 10, 11, 12, and 23, and those are their only four wins since 1997. Mm -hmm. The American League does mostly dominate. Uh, There's no trout for the AL. Otani couldn't pitch, but he did hit. Luis Robert couldn't hit. Um, No judge. So, you know, it wasn't your typical... American League lineup that you see each and every year, but that doesn't really mean much because both lineups were absolutely stacked. Um, Dirty Craig, rise. Luisa Rises is incredible, and he leaves the AL to join the NL this year. Um, but Craig Kimbrell, Dirty Craig, he got the save as a member of the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, yeah. Thought that was pretty cool to see. Um, once again, all-star week fun.
1: Absolutely. It's always a lot of fun. I look forward to it.
0: Yep, absolutely. Every year, though, I know that the day after today is – and it applies to tomorrow, too, because no rainouts are being made up tomorrow. But tomorrow doesn't always count every year. Mm-hmm. The day after the All-Star break is the only day with no MLB, NFL, NHL, or NBA all year
1: long. Well, today, too, right?
0: Today and tomorrow.
1: Yeah, the two – day. yeah.
0: But it's normally – a lot of the times the Thursday, tomorrow, has makeup games, like rainouts. That's why the second day is there for, like, people mm-hmm. to see rainouts. Mm-hmm. There's no baseball tomorrow.
1: I know. It's not till Friday. So it's a little break.
0: Yep, a little break. Um, there are some people who cry tears when none of the four are playing on these two days. I'm over here like, no. So it's a nice little break for a couple days. <laughs> There was one year I was really pissed because I ended up going fishing instead with Joey. Uh But because I'd rather watch sports than go fishing. I'm just kidding. I actually, I like fishing. It's soothing.
1: Yeah, it's, it's nice.
0: Are you getting excited for football?
1: Yeah, I can't wait to get back in the football spirit. You know, it's always nice to have a little mental break, but I'm ready. I'm ready to get back to the guillotine league if they're doing it again. Oh, yeah. Uh I, I that's not fantasy football, all that. Uh you know, I got a chip to defend, so I'm I'm looking forward to it.
0: You got a chip to defend. I haven't been eliminated in the guillotine league since week ten of twenty twenty one.
1: See? So I mean there's
0: a so, lot Yeah, it's been a long time. Um I I don't know how I won the guillotine. I do know because I made good smart moves at the end.
1: You had like, like seven no, years of experience.
0: I know. I know. ridiculous. I know, but you know what? I played it perfectly. I played it exactly perfectly. Uh, cuz my logic, don't get cut. That is the only thing you have to worry about.
1: I got don't so dumb. get.
0: And there are so many people who spend all their money early cuz they want they want to be at the near the top every it's not about being near the top in week 5. You want to be the top in week 18. Mm-hmm. It's the only week that coming in first matters. It's the last week. Don't get cut that is the only thing that should be on everybody's mind every single week and you got to use your money wisely and that's i mean winning twice in a row is a huge long shot like i'm almost <laughs> going in like knowing i'm know. donating my money but you're right you never know i'm gonna give it my good old college try um are there any teams or storylines you're looking forward to the most there's still a couple very good unsigned players too
1: yeah you know i really haven't college of, i haven't done a lot of college research or nfl research yet because you know my mind's been focused on mostly nhl lately but i don't know I, I really don't have any off the top of my head
0: i think the bears will be better
1: yeah i, I do the bears too will be i got them eight and nine right there eight and nine
0: yeah Maybe i can see be it right around that. there yeah i, got no, I can eight eight. see it right around there there's no more delusional group of people in sports right now than folks that think that Jordan Love is like the next big thing for the Green Bay Packers, <laughs> I truly believe in any sport, male, female, American, international, yeah, so. they are the most delusional group right now. Active, they remind so. me, they remind me of people who are, went into the twenty twenty season thinking Mitch was going to turn it around. Like, hey. did you just watch last season? He was freaking horrible. the The whole team stinks. Matt Nagy stinks. Mitch stinks. Those people right now are the Jordan Love people. They're going to stink. The Green Bay Packers are horrible. And the New York Jets are going to be awesome with Aaron Rodgers. It's going to be hilarious. Poo-poo on you, Green Bay. You stink. (laughs) Okay. Jacksonville, too. Jacksonville, too. Let's go Jags. Oh, yeah. Let's go Jags. Black and teal. Black and teal. Been running it. Um, but yeah, I can't wait for football. Um, I'm excited to see, I think USC is going to be better this year. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Texas and Oklahoma play their last years in the, um, the big 12.
1: Yeah. Same be thing, I'm same excited thing for the expansion next year. Like not this yeah. year, but
0: the next year. Yeah. The expansion of the playoff is cool. I don't love the team switching conferences, UCLA and USC and the big 10 does feel weird, but I mean,
1: it does that's feel a little weird.
0: What what they want to do, but we'll yeah. see how the Pac-12 and the Big 12 uh, move on and move into this new era, but we shall see. Um, Frank, you got the Bags Tournament coming up this weekend. You got any thoughts on that you want to share to the people?
1: I'm looking forward to it. I have practiced a lot during the summer. Um, it's just going to be a great time. I'm you know we, we got a lot less teams this year, but that's not going to take away from how much fun it's going to be. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm actually creating the bracket tonight, I think. So be on the lookout if you're participating. I'm going to post the video on Facebook tonight. So I know a lot of people are looking forward to that. And uh, I just hope we have good weather. I hope it doesn't turn out like today.
0: No, I don't think it's going to. Um, What's your favorite thing that you think you're going to eat on uh, Saturday?
1: That's a good question. There's going to be a lot of good food. You know, I always look forward to that ham and cheese pull apart bread that Paula makes. Yep. I think that's great. Um, We got, we ordered some crumble cookies, you know, I did that last year. Uh, I'm going to continue to. So I think those will be good. And I really, I got to be honest. I really don't know what everybody's bringing. Everybody's like, what should I bring? I'm like, just bring an app. You know, we'll just want the snackish types of food if you're playing bags. So yeah, we'll have some pizzas and, I, I don't know. I always look forward to that pull-apart, Fred.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And make sure you bring your swim trunks if you are attending the bags tournament, That's, correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, Frank, what are you watching this weekend?
1: You know outside, what, gotta, of,
0: outside of some sick bags matches.
1: I'm watching the American Cornhole League uh, championship finals. Huh. Uh, now, I, I really want to start. I, I'm behind the ball here. i got to start Secret Invasion. They're through four episodes. So I really should start that. I'm getting ready for Big Brother. Three weeks from today is uh, Big Brother, August 2nd. But, you know, I'm really watching a little bit of everything. Like, my watching schedule is so packed right now. I'm probably watching, like, nine or ten shows at once. It's getting stressful because I watch a lot of cable shows, and all the cable shows came back. So, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. So I'm going to figure out some time to fit in Secret Invasion because that's a must right now. I don't want to get too behind.
0: For sure. I started Ted Lasso. How's that? Katie and I How have been riding funny? it. It's funny. It's entertaining. Yeah. I love it. I honestly feel dumb being like this far behind. It's only three seasons. we will catch up quickly. Okay. And, you know, then we'll probably start watching them live as they come out. But I mean, I love it. And I've been watching old Star Wars movies lately because I've been kind of getting my mind into Star Wars gear. Um, I'm going to try and quickly, like really quickly, run through Rebels. So that mm-hmm. I can uh, be ready for Ahsoka, which comes at the I end. Thought of you ran
1: Arca. through Rebels. You didn't. No, I was
0: I was watching um, Clone Wars and Random Orders and of arcs that I wanted to see at certain points to help me with Mando and whatnot. But um, I've heard that Ahsoka is basically season five of Rebels, mm-hmm. so I need to really be on my game with that. But uh, the new trailer dropped yesterday, um, so. I was kind of in a Marvel phase there for a hot second while we were grinding them with Katie. We haven't uh, watched one in a while, and we'll get back to it eventually, obviously. But now that we got the Infinity Saga out of the way, we'll start moving into the multiverse here soon. But for now, it's really getting into Star Wars brain to get ready for Ahsoka.
1: I I heard Ahsoka's going to be good. I'm looking forward to it. I love Ahsoka. I love the character. She's great in Clone Wars.
0: Absolutely. And she's great in Mando slash... Book of yep. Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. So, yep, that's what we're watching this weekend in addition to baseball, obviously. Um, development camps going on across the NHL too. Um keeping up with excuse me, still getting over the cough a little bit. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for what we got going on this weekend. Lots of fun. Um
1: It's gonna be a good weekend.
0: Absolutely, Frank. I think it's that time of the show where we get everybody to their favorite podcast segment of the week, even though there's no sports to gamble on today and tomorrow, Breaking bets.
1: Where's my money, bitch?
0: Jesse Pinkman.
1: You like Jesse Pinkman?
0: Jesse Pinkman is one of my favorite, and I say this with the utmost truth I could possibly say, Jesse Pinkman is one of my favorite characters in any TV show I've ever
1: watched. Okay. That's fair. VP, this is a tough week because there really were no lines out for MLB games, so I had to really dig deep, and we dug deep. That's for sure. I did exactly what I wanted to do. I'm just doing two picks right now. First one, I mean, I didn't have to dig too deep. Um, Wimbledon's going on right now, one of the four major tennis events. Um, And I saw something with tremendous value, and that's Carlos Alcaraz to win the men's Wimbledon tournament. That'll be over this Sunday. I think he has tremendous value at plus 250. Uh, He's the number one in the world right now. And I think the only reason Novak Djokovic is favored is because of his veteran status. But Carlos Alcaraz is one of the most t- talented t- Tennessee- tennis players that I've seen. Um, he's, only, he's the youngest number one ranked tennis player in the world at 19 years old. He's unbelievable. I think he's going to give Djokovic a run for their money. Right now, they're down to four participants and I think that they're on opposite ends of the bracket. So if we could have a Djokovic-Alcarez final, that would be absolutely electric. And I think that if that's what it were to come down to, I think that um, Alcarez at plus 250, all the value in the world right there. Um, On the other hand, you never know if if maybe Djokovic gets upset before they meet in the semifinals. I don't think it's going to happen, but if it does then Alcaraz has an even better chance of winning the tournament, and you already have the plus 250 locked in. So that's my first bet for you guys, Uh, Carlos Alcaraz, to win the men's Wimbledon. The second pick, because I didn't really just want to do the one. I dug deep. We dug as deep as we could go. We're going to bet on the CFL. We got the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Edmonton Elks. Last week, Hamilton got their first win of the season against the Ottawa Red Blacks, a team that they, you know, kind of tend to own over the course of the past few years. The Elks are 0 and 5, but I think this is a great spot for them to get their first win of the season at home. So I like the Elks plus two and a half at minus one Oh five. Tiger cats have struggled this year. Now they come into this game on the road after coming off their first win, big win. Maybe their heads are too big, but I love the Elks in this spot. So take the two and a half points and uh, they got to win eventually. So we'll see what happens
0: hundred percent. I think it's so funny though. You start talking CFL football. Yeah, like that, that's, deep. That's, that's how you know you're digging deep. Uh, my all-time favorite NIU player, Jordan Lynch. He was a Heisman trophy finalist in 2013 or 12. One of those years when NIU was really, really good. It was like, it was AJ McCarron, Johnny Manziel, um, Derek Henry, and then Jordan Lynch. Like those were the nominees. It was awesome. And Lynch ended up. He signed as an undrafted free agent with the Bears to play some tight end, maybe some backup quarterback, running back. Because he was he was a a, mo- a mobile quarterback with NIU. Um, well, once his NFL career kind of came to an end, he made his way to the CFL and he did play for the Edmonton Elks. And um, he played. He had the game-winning touchdown as a running back in the Grey Cup to make really? them the Grey Cup champions. Yeah.
1: So. I had, the other day I had uh, CBS Sports Network on, and they were broadcasting a CFL game. And the guy for, the quarterback for Ottawa got injured. And the guy who came in as the backup quarterback, I forgot who it was, but he was recently, this past season or two seasons ago, a quarterback in Maxion And they were talking about Maxion in the CFL. And I was like, I've seen this guy play before for whoever it was. I forgot who it was, but I'm like, dude, I know this quarterback. And it's just funny to see him playing in the CFL now. I know they do that. Guys who don't make it to the NFL out of college who are okay. They go to the CFL. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I would venture to guess that a lot of players from the Mac end up in the Because why CSL. not? Because why yeah. not? <clears throat> I forget. I forget what team he plays for. I could actually look it up right now. I went to high school with a kid named Jimmy Butler. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And not the Jimmy Butler that plays for the Miami Heat. He goes by James on Facebook. James Butler. He He plays for the Hamilton Tiger Cats.
1: All right. Well, there you go. He's their
0: starting running back.
1: Oh, and by the way, that pick is for tomorrow.
0: Yeah.
1: There's no oh, well. CFL tonight. There's
0: no sports. None at all, whatsoever. What the heck? There's the ESPYS.
1: hmm Maybe that's why. Probably not. But
0: <laughs> no, they put the they put the ESPYS on this day for that reason.
1: Yeah, but I meant with like the CFL, like they don't care.
0: Oh no, they don't care. Yeah. I hope something hockey related wins a big award at the ESPYS. That's what I'm rooting for in the ESPYS. In the end, I hope the Vegas wins like best team or something. Uh, who was the best team this year out of the big four? Um Is
1: that an award? Yeah. I've never who, watched the NBA's, so.
0: Who was the best team? The best regular know. season team was the Bruins in any of the big four. Yeah, so. But I would say the were... best I would say the best overall team It's really really close cuz the Denver Nuggets, they were good. <clears throat> it's a tiebreaker for me between no, I don't think it's close. It's the Kansas City Chiefs. They were the number one seed in the AFC. I don't think they the Bruins is going
1: to win.
0: They it. didn't win the championship. Yeah, I guess yeah.
1: that's the like only thing. They're bouncing the first round.
0: Yeah, like it's not yeah, even I like they lost in the conference finals. Yeah. If they lost in the conference finals, it'd be different. Like, it's hard to win the cup. You got to be healthy and lucky, and calls have to go. your way. like, lots of things to win the whole thing. But the first round? Against the last team that made it in, like yeah, no, the, the the Bruins get eliminated from that from that. But um, I would give it to the Chiefs. The Houston Astros are close, but I I would I'd give it to the Chiefs. The Chiefs. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's our show. I hope everybody enjoyed it. It's been a great conversation. We had great two periods here. Us just talking BS, talking NHL interview with Tab Bamford was outstanding. Um, I agree with, I agree with Tom. He said, it's the best interview with tab we've done. I agree. Um, just got good candid answers for him. I'm sorry. I took, uh, I had a follow-up question right off the bat. Cause I knew we'd never get off, back to that conversation once we started talking Blackhawks. So that's why you had two in a row as well. It, it worked out perfectly, but, um, it was a good interview and I hope everybody, uh, Enjoyed it. Make sure you go read Frankie's stuff on AppTrigger.com. Make sure you read all my stuff on the five sites I write for. You can follow me at Vinny Parisi on Twitter to get access to all of them quickly. Follow at the King Bean on on Twitter to get all his stuff quickly. Um, Poopy weather today, but it'll be better by the weekend, and I hope everybody enjoys it safely. Um, It's going to be very, very cold outside before you know it, so go enjoy it today while you can. Um... Once July's over, it's like you have August, which is the hottest month of the year, almost a little too hot. And then like right after that, it's like, boom, we're right back in the hell. So enjoy it while you can Um, give your family a hug. And, you know, I would tell you to enjoy hockey, but we're a little bit away from hockey. Now, the Rangers posted a picture of Mika Zabanajad and said, we're Mika Zabanajad days away from opening it was like 93 days or something like that so we got a little bit of time here but you know as the ncaa schedule start coming out we'll start talking about that as well um i'm gonna go see logan cooley in person this year and that'll be nice be watching bu versus bc on tv a lot so cool i hope everybody is ready for all those types of updates and stuff so frank is there anything you want to say before we get the h out of here
1: yeah you know if you're participating in the back tournament good luck to all hope for good weather and uh, we'll have updates on next week's
0: show. Absolutely. We certainly will. And I hope everybody enjoys themselves, has a good weekend. Make sure you tune in tomorrow to Crosstown Crosstalk at 2 p.m. where we will be going over the Home Run Derby and the All-Star Game in addition to previewing the post-All-Star Game portion of the schedule. Uh, who do the Cubs play right out of the gate? I, oh, the Boston Red Sox. The Boston yep. Red Sox. will the, be at the game on Friday. And the Chicago White Sox are in Atlanta to take on my second favorite team or one of my second favorite teams, the Atlanta Braves. Um, Should be a good weekend. Looking forward to it. Make sure you watch Crosstown Crosstalk. We will get into all of that. And as always, Frank, thank you for listening.